Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. This is the Character and Smallman Podcast, powered by I Promise. Now here's Character and Smallman. Happy Monday. It's 7.01 in St. Louis. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. And it's our first character and Smallman of the week on the heels of a weekend in which the Blues won twice. The Cardinals lost a couple of times. But hey, Michelle, it's going to happen over the course of a 162-game season. You're going to lose fly balls in the sun when there's no really sun there. Uh, stuff like that. <laughs> stuff happens. It's early, Randy. It's early. Yeah. It, Trying it to is. find their groove. It's early. We've seen some positive trends, some not-so-positive trends. But it's early. Right. And as we have been shown by our St. Louis Blues, you can have slumps and then still be great at some point in the season. Is the weekend going to propel the Blues to the playoffs? We don't know. And by the way, it is trade deadline day in the National Hockey League. But if nothing else, the weekend against Minnesota will be memorable. It will because you had a team that was on the precipice of potentially getting one or more pieces moved. You had a team that was on the precipice of losing a playoff spot. And if nothing else, I appreciate the fight out of this team. We spoke to David Perron during our weekly chat with him. And when we talked to him last week afterwards, I said to you, do you feel more confident about the Blues after we spoke to David Perron? Because there was just something about his demeanor, something about the tone in his voice that was matter of fact about this Blues team. We will figure it out. It's going to happen soon. We're doing everything right and eventually this is going to turn and I know he said he was excited to go to practice Randy he was excited to hit the ice and have a hard practice and it seems like ever since we've spoken to him this Blues team has shown a different side of themselves they've shown signs of life yeah they're coming as Jordan Bennington said the Blues are coming so on Friday night it was goals by Sanford and then Schwartz and then Schwartz and then Blay and then O'Reilly and then (laughs) O'Reilly again and then Falk and then O'Reilly again and then Finally, to close things out, uh, number 49 got in on the action. Sanford jammed on the near wing. The Minnesota penalty killing third best in the National Hockey League. This is the second power play of the game for the Blues. Krug, shot, and he scores! Barbashev deflects it down, and a puck goes in. A power play goal has made it 9-1. to St. Louis, 2:21 to play here in the third period. Why can't they do that all the time? How fun was that? It was awesome. It was great. I never got tired of them scoring. <laughs> I never get tired of that, especially when you had a, a recent losing streak to have them explode for a nine nine point game, nine goals, nine goal game. I'm into it. And then Saturday night, a little bit different because Minnesota led for most of the game. Sturm scoring uh, early on, Hoffman tying it, Matt Dumba scoring for Minnesota. But then in the final minute of regulation, to the goal line, Tarasenko to Schwartz, and that one deflected on net, saved by Talbot. Done again to Hoffman, one-timer on, they score! They've tied it! Jaden Schwartz wins the battle in the front of the net. Mike Hoffman teed up another one, and the St. Louis Blues, with late game magic again, have tied the game at two. 41.6 seconds to play in the third period. And we always had supreme confidence in Mike Hoffman scoring that goal. Yeah, of course. We, we knew that on Saturday night, Mike Hoffman, the name that had been floated around to potentially get moved during all of this, would come out and have an awesome game. So Hoffman scores in the final minute of regulation, Michelle, and then they get to the final minute of overtime. 
Out of the far side for Vince Dunn, and he ran out of real estate, takes it out of the zone. Kaprizov is on him. Man, you got to be impressed with a rookie that hounds the puck the way Kaprizov does. Oh, he does too. Here's Shen. Leaves it. O'Reilly in. O'Reilly wrap around the backhand. They score! Bring out the Zamboni. The captain has launched the Blues back into a playoff spot. An overtime win for the Blues. 3-2 to two the final tonight. Two big points. And so the Blues do win it in overtime. And then yesterday, thank you, Petro, as the Golden Knights knocked off the Coyotes. So now Arizona has played one more game than the Blues, 42-41. to 41, And the Blues have one more point as they play in Minnesota tonight. This is going to be such an exciting and nerve-wracking next few weeks as the, as the Blues continue to fight to make the postseason. It's been interesting. What a great call by Curbs, by the way. That was awesome. that was so fun to listen to again. But how about Ryan O'Reilly, Randy, over the past two games? We talked about heavy is the sweater that wears the yep. sea. And sometimes you need your captain and or your best players to step up and make something happen. And the past two games, Ryan O'Reilly has done just that for this Blues team. And I wonder if he started to think about that. Hey, just let the pressure go lift some of the weight from my shoulders and just start playing because that's how he became a leader. It's effort and Mm -hmm. it's the, and I'm not questioning his effort, but I do think that sometimes you can get caught up in all the the malaise, all the molasses that is the being the captain. And sometimes it just affects your play and you have to stop thinking as Jack Flaherty says, don't think hashtag don't think. Yeah. Well, if that's what he's doing, it's working for him. Yeah, and the Blues did announce that they're going to hold a public visitation for Bobby Plager coming up on Friday on April 16th, and then there will be a procession. This is very cool. They're going to have a procession down the parade route. I love that. uh, Of the Blues Stanley Cup uh, Championship Parade before there's a private burial. So that'll be on April 16th in the afternoon. You can get the information you need at stlblues.com. I can't think of a better way to honor Bobby Plager, who just wanted the parade. That's all he said is, I need to get my parade. So to be able to remember him and share those special memories and honor his life and his legacy with the Blues and St. Louis as a whole, I think that's a great idea. Okay, so here's my question of the day for you. And uh, if you would like to weigh in with Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN, you can use our Rhino Shield mic drop feature. You can text us 65780. That's the Air Comfort Service text line. Michelle, today is trade deadline day. The deadline is at 2 o'clock. Yes. As excited as we are about what happened over the weekend, should the Blues sell, buy, or stand pat, and I will throw this qualifier in there, the best guy on the market that would have fit the Blues the best last night, Taylor Hall, got traded from Buffalo to Boston. Which is why I think they might need to stand pat. I know that Doug Armstrong always finds a way to pull a rabbit out of his hat, and yes, the Blues are seemingly clicking over the past two games, but I'm not forgetting what happened prior to that. But to your point, the one guy that I had kind of looked at that might have been something that would have benefited the Blues and Taylor Hall, not there. So I'm I'm looking at all this knowing that it's going to be difficult to fit the puzzle, and I think that they might need to just stand pat. I believe if you're going to have a three-year window, you keep that window open for the entire three years. JR, Jeremy Rutherford, has a great piece up at The Athletic this morning about what the Blues might do. And he brings up the name of Jamie Alexiak from Dallas, 6'7", 255, a, a big defenseman. And the Blues do need a big yes. defensive defenseman. If I were in the Blues' shoes, I would be buying that guy. I, I'm i kind of comfortable now with Schwartzy kind of getting hot. And I, I would, I'm like you. I would stand pat. But if I could make a small move... I'm not trading the number one pick. 
But if I can make a small move to get a defenseman that is capable and big back there, I would do it. Okay. So, so we have one stand pat, one make a move. Yeah. Six, and, five, seven, and eight, oh. And Yeah. And you're buying. Yeah. And, and I, I get that people want to sell. I mean, technically, if you get draft picks for Hoffman and Dunn, that'd be selling. Yes. And you, you might not be a whole lot worse off than you are right now. You, your team might be as good as it is right now if you sell Hoffman and Dunn for picks. That's fair. But Mike Hoffman, Randy, is playing like a guy who does not want to get moved. He did one game. I'm just saying, right now, one yeah. a game, yeah. but he did respond. Yeah. Hey, you may have noticed that we haven't mentioned the Cardinals yet, and it's 7.09. <laughs> uh, the Cardinals, uh, they had a rough go of it. They fell to the Brewers 9-5 to on Saturday, and then yesterday, some snafus in the early going. Here's a concern. The Cardinals starting pitcher yesterday, Daniel Ponce de Leon, said his arm felt like it weighed 100 pounds. That's never good. That's I never what so. you want to hear your pitcher say. No, it's not. No. He had a rough go. He was not helped much by his defense in a 9-3 loss to the Brewers. And the Cardinals apparently will get KK back relatively soon. And the starting pitching has to be better than it was over the weekend. Starting pitching and, Randy, hopefully some production from the outfield. That turns around, too. This has... And... Hey, I, I get it's it's early, and, and uh, I think we do miss Harrison Bader, shockingly, but I, I think we do. But I, I believe you've kind of seen enough of Tyler O'Neill. He's either going to get hurt or he's going to be really streaky. Okay, he's hurt again. He's a muscular guy. He's just too muscular. So I, I don't know that you're ever going to have him be a 140-game-a-season guy. I think he's shown that over the course of three years. He's just too shredded, Randy? Yeah, that's that's a problem. He needs, as Whitey said, he needs to drink a beer and eat a hot dog. Maybe sit and watch TV on a couch with some bonbons. Wouldn't that be great if that's what your doctor said to you? Yeah. Everything looks good, except I think you need to sit on the couch and eat more cheeseburgers. Maybe yeah. work in a beer or three. Wouldn't that be that would be awesome if your doctor said that to you. If you do not want to pull muscle, then it seems like cheeseburgers and chips are the way to go. I don't understand why our society glorifies these ripped bodies when all it's going to do is end up in injury. Hey, you can't pull fat. You can't pull fat. We need to normalize the cheeseburger body. Yep. I don't know. And this is just from the eye test. I don't know that Justin Williams is ever going to be the hitter that the Cardinals hoped he would be. Yeah. I still haven't seen anything in Lane Thomas in the last year. Uh, he, he didn't show anything last year. He hasn't shown anything this year. Granted, well, last year he didn't really get the opportunity. And this year he's only played one game. Exactly. So, but th- my point is, is, we're thinking about guys that you can count on. That's, I, I shouldn't have put it that way. I haven't, I haven't seen anything that leads me to believe that he's going to be the, a guy that you can count on because I haven't seen him. Right. And so, Which is so I, fair. I think Dylan Carlson is going to be fine, I, even though he's hitting 184 or whatever. I think Carlson's going to be fine. And I think getting Bader back actually will work to the Cardinals' advantage. Yesterday, the defense didn't help out Ponce de Leon at all. Absolutely not. I think you, if you have Carlson in right and Harrison Bader in center, I think you've got a start. But I wonder where the offense is going to come from. And, oh, by the way, I, I have faith in Paul DeYoung. But he hasn't done much except for hit those two home runs either. I believe he's over his last 20. Which is not what you want. No. So, obviously, Mo, the front office, the Cardinals, gained a lot of goodwill with the fan base when they went out and acquired Nolan Arenado, who looks like he's going to be worth every penny and then some. Mm -hmm. However, the main issue that had fans worked up prior to the Arenado move was 
the outfield and the fact that it seemed like the Cardinals had chosen the wrong players that they had moved on from guys like Randy Arozarena to hang on to a Tyler O'Neill or a Lane Thomas or a Harrison Bader and I, I know it's so early it is so early in the season but I was thinking about this over the weekend and I wonder if we get to the end of the season and the outfield is still a question mark and still an issue if the goodwill that the Cardinals gain from the Arenado move might go away yeah, that's just the way things operate in Cardinal Nation. Absolutely, that would be the case. And it's not that you didn't supplement the outfield. It's as we sit right now, you've got four really good to great offensive players in Edmund, Arenado, Goldschmidt, Molina. The other four aren't even average. They aren't, they're horrific. You're talking about batting averages of 103 and 184 and 079. But over the course of the weekend, I don't know how much they changed, but that generally that's that's mm-hmm. where you are right now. They need to get something average out of it. And we talked to John Mozeliak on Thursday on opening day, and we've only played, what, three games since then, right? Yeah. So this, this is what John Mozeliak had to say on opening day. The one thing early takeaway right now is, is I still think our outfield is going to be impactful. I think... Uh, you know, our, our infield's talented. I think our bullpen's talented. And I think our starting pitching will, will catch its groove. So I agree with everything he said because the starting pitching will catch the groove. Obviously, the bullpen's a strength, infield a strength. But the fact that he's, he still believes the outfield can be impactful, yes, it's early. And yes, he's the one that's putting together the puzzle. So, of course, he's going to have more of a belief than we do who are just observers and we don't know everything that's happening on the inside. But I'm... I don't know. I I hope that the reason that he has such faith in these players shows itself at Mm -hmm. some point, because as of right now, it seems like the same trend we saw last season and really the season before that. And we are seeing better things out of Austin Dean. Mm -hmm. He's up to 286 with a 905 OPS. We mentioned Carlson, his OPS hanging in there at 866. Lane Thomas, and granted, he's only got three at-bats, but he had a hit yesterday, which was a good thing. So maybe that's the group that you play tonight against Washington at 7 o'clock at the ballpark. 645, first pitch. Couple of other quick notes. Hideki Matsuyama wins the Masters. Congratulations to him. And A-Rod and billionaire Mark Lohr, Michelle, are buying the Minnesota Timberwolves and the Minnesota Lynx from the majority owner Glenn Taylor, who runs Target. A-Rod not deterred by not getting the Mets. He just wants to be an owner, and he's got the capital to do it. I think it's going to be so interesting to see A-Rod be an owner in the NBA. It's going to be very cool. I, I'm, I'm very intrigued, too. Do you think he'll be a good owner? I think he will. I think he'll be a good front man. I wonder if he and J-Lo get a place maybe near Paisley Park. Randy, the word all over the streets. She is not wearing the ring. Oh, no, not again. I've seen it all over the internet all weekend. Not wearing the ring. Lots of questions being lobbed at J-Rod. This is troubling. Troubling for me. You ruined my morning. I'm sorry. I know. I'm sorry, but I had to tell you, don't expect her to be at any of those Timberwolves (laughs) games because it seems like the things might be on the rocks. Maybe she She doesn't have the rocks, so it's on the rocks. See what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, If she really wanted to stick the knife and, you know, jab it into his brain and kill him. Get Uh, back together with P. Diddy? No. Beasley. Randy Beasley. Yep. Come on. Do you think J-Lo is going to go in the same pool that Larsa Pippen's in? Come on. Just, J-Lo is so above that. I know she is. That's why it would no be so No offense to Malik Beasley. No, it's, a, it's offensive. 
I'm just saying that that would. Do you, Randy, no. What, what could hurt A Rod more than that than dating one of his own players who's 24? Do you know? Be 25. We right? are more likely to see Larsa and A Rod together because they both oh. love Instagram. Oh, yeah. Good thought. Uh, we're off and running here on 101 ESPN. <laughs> Michelle, Randy, coming up, the Blues with a good weekend, but is that enough for you to want them to buy? We'll talk a little bit more about their route and their slim victories against the Wild, but we want to know from you. Are you buying? Are you selling? Are you standing bad? That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> Busy night coming up on the St. Louis sports scene. The Cardinals and the Blues both play. Blues at Minnesota, pregame at 6. And then the faceoff with Chris Kerber and Joey Vitale on the call at 7 here on 101 ESPN. Meanwhile, the Cardinals play the Nationals tonight. And we're going to talk to their play-by-play man, Charlie Slows, at the bottom of the hour. But, Michelle, the question of the day is, do the Blues on this trade deadline day, do they buy, sell, or stand pat? What are people thinking? From the 314, are you going to take away the keys from the to the panic bus from Randy yet? I'm fine with the blue staying pat. Uh, I'm, I, I think it's important that I have the keys because I feel like I have kind of a level head about this. And I'm not going to overuse the panic bus. So don't, don't take the keys from me. Just allow me to warm it up now and then. Yeah, he didn't drive away with it. No. I, I was standing in line to purchase the ticket, hadn't purchased it yet. Now I'm definitely out of line, um, which I don't know if that was a smart decision or not, but I got <laughs> out of line. But Randy just had the keys. He was on the bus. He was in the driver's seat, but he did not start the ignition, right? Well, I I, I did start it, but I didn't drive. I didn't put it in drive. So we were still in park. Yeah, we were warming it. Get that baby warmed up. <laughs> oh, jeez. Okay. From the 573, I woke up this morning to see that the Boston Bruins traded for Taylor Hall, who I was hoping Army would trade for. I hope that the Blues can make a big deal to propel them. And I just don't see that deal out there. When I look at the rosters of teams that are out of the race, maybe there's a deal. In terms of a scorer, Taylor Hall was above everybody else. You might have the second best guy available on your roster right now in Mike Hoffman. The other night after the game, after Hoffman moved from healthy scratch to first star of the game, uh, Coach Berube was asked about what Hoffman can do. Is Hoffman a guy that can contribute to this team and help and fit the system? Yeah, of course. He's contributed this year a number of times. I mean, you know, I thought, like I said, he played a solid game. I thought he competed hard tonight and worked hard. You know, he was, you know, was on the body tonight and he ended up scoring a couple goals, but he has the ability to, um, you know, put the puck in a net with a shot and he's got good talent. And um, when he puts his mind to it and he competes hard and works hard, he's a good player. I thought he was a good player tonight. So, yes, he can help our team. To me, the big takeaway there was when he competes hard and works hard. When he puts his mind to it. Yep. Which leads you to believe that that might not have been the case every other game. Otherwise, he wouldn't be a healthy scratch, would he? What? No. And and Chief said prior to that, he knows what's expected of him as he entered that game, and he delivered. And so the question of Hoffman is, with all the trade talk surrounding him, and it's not from the Blues, it's from us, it's from media, it's from fans. Does he even want to be a part of this? Yeah, like I said, this team's a you know, great hockey club, and the way that uh, things are going, you know, as of late, like I said, you know, there's ups and downs in a season, but obviously it's it's nice when, when things are going your way. You just try and hopefully, you know, keep working and have that good feeling last as long as you can. The 636, Randy, not sold on Hoffman, said I'm selling Hoffman and using what I get for him to get a defenseman. 
Yeah, that's reasonable. If you can get a pick for him, if you can get a second rounder, you probably aren't going to get a second rounder. Taylor Hall was the MVP a couple of years ago, and he fetched a second rounder. So you're probably not going to get a second rounder for Mike Hoffman at this point. Also, from his response there, what do you expect him to say? Right, right, yeah. Every player is going to say, yeah, of course I want to be here. Yeah, of course I'm competing and working hard. No, it's it's so rare when a player comes out and says, this is not the, the place for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've had a few of those in Blues history. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think that's totally changing sports, but that's why to have Russell Wilson, of all people, even slightly come out and say that he might want to leave Seattle, it sets such shockwaves through the sports world because you don't really see players do stuff like that. Well, maybe in the NBA. Yeah, but it doesn't happen often. And a guy who really does like being here is the captain. And one of the great things about Ryan O'Reilly, he takes that C to heart in dealing with other players on the team. So what's he talked to Hoffman about? You know, I think it's just kind of making sure he knows he's a big part of this team. And, you know, he is. You could just see it out there. He did a lot of good things, physical. Um, and, you know, he's one of the best shooters in the game. And, you know, he came through for us. And, you know, I think it shows the depth that we have. And, you know, we're we're a deep team. And him coming in making an impact is, uh, yeah, it was huge for us tonight. And all of a sudden the Blues just 48 hours later have to do the exact same thing. And maybe they'll do it with guys that they had on Saturday night. Maybe there will be some departures. You wouldn't expect anybody that they add would be on the roster or at least available to them tonight in Minnesota. I wonder what's going to happen. But I love this text from the 636 because I I, I think a lot of Blues fan, fans probably feel that way. Sorry. He says... He's, he or she says, I feel like as a Blues fan for 42 years, I've never trusted anyone the way I do Doug Armstrong. If he stands pat, it's the right move. If he makes a move, it'll be the right move. He has absolutely 100% earned that benefit of the doubt. I feel the same way. He knows more about his team. He knows more about hockey than I do. So I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. I, I completely agree. And how rare is that? Yeah, that doesn't happen much with general managers in sports. No. If you, uh, if you go to any team's Twitter, they generally don't like the GM and football. They don't like the offensive coordinator baseball. They don't like the hitting coach and they hate everybody hates the way their manager handles the bullpen. That's true. Wow. That is I'm thinking of a lot of names that we have <laughs> talked about and those, those terms over the past few years, a few years ago, I just People for are pretty okay fun. with Mike Schilt in the bullpen. They are. Yeah. But a few years ago when Matheny was having oh, man. difficulty with the bullpen, I went through all 30 teams. I just, I would do like Yankees, uh, Yankee or Girardi bullpen or when he was a manager, Cora bullpen with every single team, even the teams that were going well. And I think it was Boston at that time. There was always a complaint about the way the manager handled the bullpen, like the people that were on Twitter could have done better. But were they all as warranted as some of the complaints in St. Louis? You know, that's a really interesting question because Matheny's winning percentage was like 96 percent after the sixth inning when the team was leading. So, yeah, he ran guys into the ground, but he didn't have the sort of depth that they have now. It's it's an interesting question. I always go to the bottom line, though. Were they winning those games after they used the bullpen? For the most part, they were. I know that a lot of people didn't like that, don't no. like to hear that. But no, they don't. It's Did you win the game? That's the question I asked. He's he's still got like the fifth highest winning percentage of all active managers. That's crazy. Yeah, it's because amazing. based on based of the on the way that people view him, you would not oh, think yeah. that. And then four trips to the postseason. Yeah, it's it's. Remarkable. Coming up, we're going to visit with the voice of the Nationals, a gentleman who lived here in St. Louis for a long time. Charlie Slows is next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. 
Michelle Smallman, Randy Carricker, and it has been a strange start for the Washington Nationals who are going to be here in town tonight to take on the Cardinals. They had COVID issues at the beginning of the season. They've started playing, and after winning their opener, they've dropped five in a row, including one of the great pitching matchups yesterday that you'll see in this era. Max Scherzer against... Uh, Clayton Kershaw yesterday as the Dodgers completed a sweep of the Nationals. The voice of the Washington Nationals, and he has been since day one, is a guy that I worked with at KMOX back in the, the mid to late 80s, Charlie Slows, who's with us now on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line on 101 ESPN. Charlie, it's always great to hear your voice. Thanks for taking some time with us. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. Uh, you, you've dated us all now, Randy. Everybody knows we're old people. <laughs> but we're young at heart and we're still around sports, so that's a good thing. That's right. And when, when we all get back to being at ballparks and traveling with teams and uh, we have capacity crowds in stadiums, we'll, we'll know that some things are closer to being normal. That's right, Charlie. Well, as Randy mentioned, the Nationals dealt with that COVID outbreak. We are all too familiar with that, unfortunately, here in St. Louis. And I know a chunk of the guys who are out on the IL have returned, but do you think the Nationals will get everybody back, Bell, Schwarber, and Harrison, sometime this week? Well, that was the the, the hope, uh, listening to manager Davey Martinez yesterday, still waiting on protocols. They're hoping that everybody gets cleared. You know, every place you play, uh, the rules in each municipality are a little bit different than their their rules about everything handled with COVID by Major League Baseball. So um, they're really hoping so. But, you know, now you, you have guys that have been out. Today will be two weeks since their last game in West Palm Beach and their flight to D.C. Um, they had those tests that morning before they played that game, and those are the ones that revealed the positives and then – you know, the resulting close contacts who had to be quarantined. So, uh, you know, what what uh, you get when they come back remains to be seen. Out of all those guys, John Lester figures, if he is cleared uh, because he needs to build up a bit, is probably going to go to their alternate training site in, in Fredericksburg, Virginia, to try and build up a little bit before they put him in a game. So it really is, you know, you get your guys back, and then how long till they're back or at the level – they were coming out of spring training. So it, uh, it really has hurt the Nationals in their start and trying to feel the lineup close to what they hoped it would be. Uh, you were missing a lot of pieces. And, Charlie, obviously the physical toll is terrible, but you go back to last year and then the start of this year, it seems really unfair that the Nationals and Nationals fans have never really been able to celebrate the World Championship, have they? Not really since the parade. You know, when you think about it, uh, the shutdown in mid-March and then, the, the opening with no fans in July last year, and they, they raised the flag because uh, ESPN wanted it uh, for their telecast, and then they went to commercial when they were raising the flag. <laughs> oh, man. They did, it, they did it again on opening day. They raised the flag with 5,000 people there. Uh, the mayor approved for the crowds to, to bump up, so they'll have over 10,000 when they return from this road trip and when the Cardinals are there next week and hopefully by May a little bit more as capacities are increasing everywhere with more and more people getting vaccinated. So, but you're right. I mean, the, the Dodgers did it with 15,000 people the other day. Still wasn't the same. I mean, you, your your ceremony was more uh, of, of remote wishes on the video board and not having a, a, a true host on the field and that sort of thing. So it was still a, a socially distant kind of virtual ring ceremony. So, I, I, you know, the, the Dodgers got to do it on the field. The Nationals, with nobody in the stadium, had their own ceremony. 
but it certainly is is not what anybody would would hope for what it would be. Same thing, you know, the Blues got to do their their Stanley Cup uh, celebration. The Tampa Bay Lightning really didn't. They haven't raised their banner in front of a full crowd. Right. That's right. Um, Charlie, we're always interested in the local product, Max Scherzer. I know he had that great duel yesterday with Clayton Kershaw, the outcome, not what he'd hoped. But what have you seen so far this season from Max Scherzer? Well, opening day might have been a little too amped up and maybe the effects of a layoff. He gave up uh, four solo home runs, just a little bit too much of the plate. Uh, And then he settled in and struck out a, a bunch, ended up with nine strikeouts and no walks in six innings. He was great yesterday. He, he didn't have the big strikeout numbers. He had one ball really hit hard, and that was the bad break for him because Victor Robles lost the ball in the sun on the warning track, and the ball hit the base of the fence. So certainly a ball that would have been caught, and he wouldn't have given up any runs uh, in the time he was in the game, and maybe he would have pitched deeper. We don't know. Uh, still, was a, it was a great matchup. Seems like he always faced Kershaw in L.A. on a Sunday on the third day of the series, and, <laughs> and he'll get a lineup loaded with right-handed batters, maybe some guys who – who really don't get to play all that much and, and, until those situations. But for the Nationals, the guys who probably wouldn't play all that much are batting in the middle of your batting order right now. So that was certainly an advantage for Kershaw and the Dodgers. The veteran voice of the Washington Nationals, Charlie Slows, with us on 101 ESPN. Charlie, I, I would think because Blues fans do this, Cardinal fans still look back to 2011, look at, at their comeback. I, I would think that Nationals fans look at this 1-5 start and say, well, you know what, we still got our same top three starting pitchers, and if we get off to a bad start, this team can go on a roll like it did in 2019. Yeah, the, the one thing that Davey Martinez preached this year, is, and, and even after last year, going 19-31 and 31 again in a 60-game season was not ideal when you didn't have enough time to turn the season around. But amazing that they did go 19-31 and 31 for a second year in a row, and that was the one thing he really wanted to avoid this year. And with the, you know, the competitiveness of the division, uh, with the Phillies and the Braves, and you know, the Mets improved and the Marlins improved, you you're not really wanting to do that because that might be a hole you can't climb out of this time. So hopefully uh, they can start to put some pieces back together in the next week to 10 days and uh, start to run off some wins. Charlie, how fun is it to get to watch Juan Soto day in and day out? Every at bat is an adventure, you know, with the shuffle and the little stare downs of the pitcher and then his smiles and talking to the catcher, talking to the umpire. I mean, he just loves every bit of it. Every second of it, it takes it all in and and uh, just makes a pitcher really have to grind to try and get him out. Uh, the other day, watching him foul a ball off his foot and hobble around and then foul off more pitches and more pitches and then rip one into the seats in right field for a two-homer game, we really didn't see him hit a ball hard the entire spring. He didn't have an extra base hit. He didn't drive in a run. Uh, he was trying to track balls to, to get deep. And so we thought, well, we'll see what happens when the bell rings, if he can start a little bit earlier. And it took him a couple of games, and now it seems like he's been locked in. So it should be fun to watch and even more fun when they get their entire lineup around him for more protection. Charlie, as a guy who has watched baseball for a long time and seen the evolution of the game into the three true three true outcome game that it is, how cool is it to see a guy that hates to strike out? Love it. Love it, love it, love it. Um, I'm waiting for the launch angle era and the era of, of strikeouts and the, the, all that to change. You know, but if guys still think they have to, the left-handed hitters think they have to launch it in the air over the three-man shifts in the right field and the 
the short right fielder, I, until guys start to hit the ball the other way enough, if there are enough people can do that, uh, maybe with the changes in the baseball, uh, we watched the ball yesterday in the daytime where normally it carries really well at Dodger Stadium, not really carry very much, more like it was a night game at Dodger Stadium. So, I mean, if that's the case, you, you might see more hit and runs. You might see uh, the steal coming back in the game and guys hitting the ball the other way. Real baseball, like we watched growing up, right? yeah. that, we, that we haven't seen. Uh, and hopefully, you know, Juan Soto, a throwback in so many ways, is, is the type of player. You know, hey, the first, the first ball we saw him hit in the major leagues was an opposite field home run. Uh, that was about 430 feet to left center field. And, and you know, that was an ind- off a left-handed pitcher. That was an indication for us of what was to come. No doubt. He's he's great to watch. And I know you always like making the trip back. It, it's a bummer that you're still doing the games from D.C. because this is a trip that you like to make. Absolutely. You know, it's where I started my career. It's where I met my wife, uh, where she still has most of her family. Um, so, yeah, certainly miss missed L.A., going to miss this hopefully we're not going to miss all of the trips this year our broadcast team is fully vaccinated um hopefully when players are all vaccinated with clubs and they 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 reach you know their own herd immunity with enough people vaccinated uh, that they'll they'll relax some of the the protocols and allow broadcasters to travel again with teams because there's nothing like calling a game when you're there compared to you know last season i i had a double header in miami last road games of the year Kurt Suzuki's up, two strikes, two out, last inning. Here's the pitch, and the screen goes black. Oh, no. What'd you do? Oh, yes. And then, and then you have an all-nine screen, which is like a high home camera, but it's it's not clear enough that you can make out who anybody is. So when I looked over there and saw the pitcher and catcher walking towards each other, I figured that Kurt Suzuki had struck out. I didn't know if he swung or took the pitch, but I said he struck him out, and the game's over. And backtrack to figure out if he swung or or, or took the pitch. And then just to put icing on the cake, game two of that doubleheader, trainer, Trey Turner leads off, and he swings and hits the ball that we could tell was going toward left center field, and the screen went black again. <laughs> when I looked at the all-nine, the left fielder and the center fielder were angling back towards each other, and they all stopped running. So I guessed it was a home, home run, run and turned out that it was. Yeah, We need but to have you here. And... Go ahead. That's not the way we want to do it. No, no. We, we need to have you at, at ballparks and all the broadcasters at ballparks. Charlie, it's great to hear your voice. Thanks for coming on with us. We appreciate it. Have a great series, and hopefully we'll see you soon. Thanks, Randy. Same here. All right. Take care. That is our friend Charlie Slows, voice of the Nationals on 101 ESPN. People don't realize how difficult that is. Yeah, the screen going black. Can you imagine? No, I can't. I got nervous when he was telling that story. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they're professionals and they figure out a, a way to get through yeah. it, obviously. But I wish the average baseball fan could understand how difficult that is from a technical standpoint, what these broadcasters like like Danny Mack have been mm-hmm. doing for the past season and a half. Yeah, it's it's not easy. And a lot of the guys are doing it from home. Yep. So hard. Yeah, it, it's it's not easy. By the way, last year, we you brought up Soto. Last year, he walked 41 times and struck out 28. Oh, man. So, and the year before that, he, he struck out 132 times, but he walked 108. But he has really become an incredibly disciplined hitter. So far this year, 20 at-bats, he's walked five times and struck out three. How many guys, you think he's the one in Major League Baseball that walks more than he strikes out? He might be, because that is rare. It really is. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up, take it or leave it on 101 ESPN. 
We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Six five seven eight zero is the Air Comfort Service text line. If you'd like to participate and take it or leave it, our great producer Emily Butcher looked up during the break. Michelle, the strikeout to walk ratio of Major League Baseball, only guy better than Juan Soto last year was Tommy Lastella, who hmm. was with the Angels and is now with the Giants. Interesting. Would not yeah. have guessed him. No, twelve strikeouts, twenty-seven walks. Wow, pretty impressive. Yes, it is. Uh, I'm going to start with a sad one. Oh, Randy, why? Former Cardinal. Dexter Fowler tearing oh. his ACL on Friday is out for the year. Take it or leave it. Dexter Fowler has played his last major league game. I'm going to take it. I wish I, I didn't, but I'm going to take it. I am too. At this stage in his career, that type of injury, you would hate to see it end that way. I would love for him to be able to rehab that and come back and potentially play again and contribute to his team. But I don't know. I think it might be the end. Yeah, I think it is too. At that age, with that production, mm-hmm. Teams just don't go after players like that. No. And I was so bummed when I read that news. Yeah, and he weekend. was in such pain, too. It was it was a sad thing. I know. So, Randy, uh, Alex Rodriguez and Mark Lohr finalizing a deal to purchase the Minnesota Timberwolves and the Minnesota Lynx from the majority owner, Glenn Taylor. They won't take full control until 2023. Take it or leave it. When they do take full control in 2023, there will be at least one major scandal where A-Rod has to apologize as the owner. I'll totally take that. He's going to tamper with somebody. Or he might not need to apologize, but he'll be sitting in the stands with his current significant other because apparently it's not going to be J-Lo anymore. Somebody's going to be feeding him popcorn or something. And it'll just look ridiculous. We know that A-Rod's always going to be in the headlines, but I'm saying there's one press conference where he has to face the media and therefore the fans where he has to apologize for something. Yeah, I'll, I'll take that. I don't know what I, it's going to be. There will be something, yes. There's going to be something. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I'll take it. Emily, what do you have? From the 573, take it or leave it. It is better to have Mike Hoffman as a healthy scratch on your team in the playoffs as opposed to him scoring against your team in the playoffs. Uh, yeah, I'll take that. Yeah, that's a good point. I don't want him to score against the Blues. Yeah, no, and that could happen if he winds up with the, the right team. From the 314, take it or leave it, the Blues make a trade today. I'm going to leave it, Michelle. I'm going to say that they stand pat. I'm going to leave it, too. I think they do as well for a multitude of reasons. Which would be? I think it's going to be difficult for them to find the right move. I think the team has responded leading up to, obviously, this the deadline today. And I think the right move, Doug Armstrong, I don't think, is going to make a move just to make a move. He's going to make the right move and the smart and savvy move. And right now, I don't know if that's out there. And let me add one other thing. I think the Blues really want to keep their number one pick. They've yes. traded a lot of number ones over the last few years. And... Their system isn't as plentiful as it once was. I I really believe that they want to maintain that top pick this year. I also think the team has dealt with so much this season with injuries. You haven't really gotten that great of a sense of what this team can do when they're fully together. And I think that's something the Blues might be weighing as well. From the 314, the Cardinals are undefeated on weekday games and winless on weekend games. Take it or leave it, the Cardinals continue that trend and sweep the Nats. I'll take it. Yeah, that'll be fun. But they don't have to face Scherzer. Yeah, which is always a positive. Yeah. Um, I'm going to leave it. I think they win the series. I don't think they get the sweep. 
And then I don't even know who that... I, I'm living day-to-day with the Cardinals right now. Which so is always a good thing. I don't know who they play next weekend. Let's look it up. Phillies. Oh, okay. Is that the Phillies? Yeah, they won't get swept by the Phillies. I have to look at my calendar. Yeah, that's with the baseball season. It's series to series. Yeah. From the 618, take it or leave it. Oviedo gets the call next time around over punts. I'm going to leave it because I think KK is going to come back. But Oviedo showed you some good stuff. Deserves, if somebody falters or is injured, he absolutely deserves an opportunity. I agree. He was great yesterday. Yes, he was. Kept them in it. Settled things down. And here's a guy that's in the alternate camp. He was supposed to pitch against KK and Soje yesterday. And they call him up. He hasn't pitched in a game since spring training and goes four and third scoreless. That was beautiful. How about when Yachty went to make the throw to second and he had to to hit the deck? That's not what you want to see when you look up Yachty getting ready to gun it. From the 3-4, the Cardinals, take it or leave it, the Cardinals trade or sign for a starting pitcher? I'm going to leave that. I think if the Cardinals make a move, it's going to be for an outfielder. Oh, man. And I do, th- with KK coming back, and like Mo told us, they're confident in Michaelis coming back. Mm-hmm. And pretty soon, the minor league season is going to start. You're going to get Libertor and Zach Thompson going. Sure. And you're going to probably stretch out Woodford at tri- AAA when you get him going. So I'm thinking that the need will be greater for an outfielder than for a starting pitcher. But <clears throat> that leads me to believe that the outfield doesn't do anything. And that we have many, well, <laughs> many months of of the same narrative and the same issues that they're facing now. And that's a bummer. Don't want to deal leave with that. It. You would give Austin Dean the opportunity that Justin Williams got at the beginning of the season. I definitely would. I would love to see him get more of a look. Yeah. And I, I kind of wish they'd give Nagoski a chance. So do I. Why not? Why not? Yeah. So, But it might be, at least for a little bit, you might see Thomas Carlson... Uh, Dean out there. And I think you're right. They need Harrison Bader back. Yeah, they do. From the 573, take it or leave it, 2022 is still the go year for the Cardinals. Yeah, I'll take that. Yeah. I don't think they think that, but I I think we think that. But there's still... (laughs) That's the thing that we need to... And all you need to do is get a Be Patient shirt from the Fast Lane. That's right. Unless you already have one. And then buy one for someone else. Right. Just go ahead and buy one. Because this is an evaluation year. They're not looking at how many games have they played? Nine? They're, they're looking at 162 games. They're looking at six months to evaluate these guys. We're looking at nine games or yesterday to evaluate these guys. Their approach to this is completely different than ours is. Yeah, they take the long play. They totally do. And so if this doesn't work out, then maybe they go out and get an outfielder next offseason or maybe at the break if guys have shown them that they can't do it. But the Cardinals are much more inclined, like you said, Michelle, to take the long play to deal with that Willie Mays, whatever it was, two for 55 or two for 51 when he started his career. Maybe they'll wind up with the next Willie Mays. I wonder how difficult it is for them to take the long play. You know that they're they're far more patient than we are, mm-hmm. which is why the, they occupy those positions. But I wonder how much the Randy Arozarena wrinkle has thrown them off from a patient standpoint. I wonder if you, if you're 
an evaluator within the confines of the Cardinals organization and you're seeing these trends persist with the outfield and you know that you had a guy that, well, there are several players, obviously, that they had moved on from that they might not have evaluated correctly. I wonder how difficult that is for them to be to be patient, as the fast lane says. Would you like me to give you a advantage? Yeah. A hundred. <laughs> Voight and Rosarena have 100% affected the way that they're looking at these guys because they don't want to give up the next Voight or a Rosarena. That's right. I would think the same thing. But I also would think that if it's not going to work out, that you would want to get something for them before they're too exposed. Exactly. Right. And that's a problem. That is absolutely a problem. Although they did give up a lot for Gonzalez. But when you look at we don't even know who they gave up for Austin Dean, do we? Uh, they they gave up international slot money for uh, for uh, Thomas. The uh, Tommy Pham trade netted them in addition to Cabrera, Justin Williams. So it's not like these guys, it's not like they gave up a, a Rosarena for Liberatory. It wasn't big deals that brought these guys here. Mm-hmm. That's Take It or Leave It. Thanks very much, Emily. We appreciate it. Thank you. And thanks for your text to the Air Comfort Service text line as well. Coming up, the Cardinals did drop both games to the Brewers this weekend. What do they need to do against Washington to turn things around this week? That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. It just turned 8.05 in St. Louis. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler with Michelle Smallman. I'm Randy Carricker. Great to have you with us. The Cardinals weekend? Um, Not great. No, they, they allowed uh, nine runs in each of the two games, all earned, Michelle, and lost 9-3 and then 9-6 yesterday. The offense came around a little bit yesterday, even though it was kind of over before it started because of the struggles of Ponce de Leon. Carlos Martinez was not horrible on Saturday. The bullpen blew up in that one. But, hey, how how do you start winning? How do you turn things around? You don't allow nine runs. The Cardinals are a team that if they score four, generally, they're going to win. Their winning percentage when they score more than three is off the charts. Yeah. So they just need to get back to who they are. And they're a team that is going to pitch and play defense. If they're going to win, that's what they have to do. Yeah, that's going to be their calling card this entire season. And it's still early. And hopefully we see the pitching self-regulate. And you're going to get KK back. There's going to be some positives coming. But yeah, you're right. It's going to be pitch. You know, you have seen some positive things out of the offense. Some more positive trends than I expected, at least early on. One of the lack of positive things out of the offense is the continued struggles of Matt Carpenter. Oh, yeah. He pinch hit yesterday and again even though he he did hit the ball hard didn't come through he's 0 for 12 he was 2 for 37 during spring training so 2 for 49 in this calendar year and last year was a major struggle for uh, Matt Carpenter as well so you've got 0 for 12 I'm, I'm going to throw spring training out, okay? I always throw spring training out. Yeah, that's fair. But last year, and again, it was a shortened schedule. He played in 50 of the games. Uh, Matt was 26 of 140. And yesterday, after the game, Mike Schill was asked about the struggles that Matt Carpenter is enduring. It's I'm literally scratching my head um, at the at the madness that is taking place with Carp um, because... There's too many balls that get hit that are going out of the ballpark 
that don't have the trajectory and the measurables that exist in our game and don't get rewarded. You know, I mean, it just, it's, it's really, um, it's almost indescribable, but it's definitely baffling. Um, I mean, just, just the chances are game of proposition, right? You hit the ball hard, you hit it and do it things right a certain way that, you know, thing that, that's frustrating and also um, unbelievably also about this game is, and hard about this game probably more than anything is you can do everything right with and get zero result that's positive. And um, you accept that. That's why it's such a mentally and physically demanding game. Um, you do accept that, but there's also some reason within it. And at some point you go, man, how many times is a guy going to put a swing like that on a baseball and, and not be rewarded? Um, you, you know, and he's just done it a lot in the spring and, and this season. And, and um, so he's saving up for a, a bountiful harvest. He's going to... Um, He's going to sow the, the um, seeds that he's planting here at some point. I can promise you that. The game's not that cruel. I, I understand where Mike Schultz is coming from because you have seen Matt Carpenter have some really hard hit balls. There was one where I thought he was just so close to a home run. And Randy, every time he steps in the batter's box, I'm sending him such good vibes because so many of us want it for Matt Carpenter. We want, as Mike Schultz said, for that harvest to come through because he is doing everything right. And it's difficult to watch someone who's been such a great Cardinal and such a great member of the organization do everything that's expected of him and not have the production. But at the end of the day, Randy, I think the thing that I extract from that Mike Schultz quote is that he's doing everything right, but he's getting zero results. And this is a results-based business. And it's 0 for 12 this season so far. It's 26 for 140 last year. This is a trend that's existed for a while. And I know he's doing everything he possibly can to turn it around, but I just don't know what the realistic expectations are of Matt Carpenter at this point internally. Because if he didn't have this history with the team, if someone was putting up those numbers, they wouldn't be given an opportunity. And we should note, in fairness to the club, we are talking about a bench player who has 12 at-bats, 16 right. plate appearances in nine games. But you also have to think that, as you said, if you're doing everything right, you're doing launch angle, you're hitting the ball as well as you can, and none of them have left the park, mm-hmm. the, in this day and age, that's a real problem. Now, maybe in addition to being victimized by the shift, he's victimized by the new baseballs, too. But the fact of the matter is, like you said, it's just not happening for him. And if it were an 0 for 12 start for the season, I could say, OK. But after hitting 186 last year, I kind of look at this as more than a trend. I look at this as what the guy is. And again, I'll stress that he is a bench player. He's insurance for the Cardinals. And I hope to be proven wrong. I hope that Mike Schilt is 100% right and there's a bountiful harvest on the way. But it's been a long time for, for Matt. And he, like you say, he's a great Cardinal and he puts everything into it and he does everything right. But I think you have to you have to have more productive players on your team at the end of the day. This one from the 314. Why is Mike Schultz acting like Carpenter is an up-and-coming ball player? He was an all-star and a veteran who's struggling to stay relevant. This is delusional. That's from the 314. Yeah, well, the Cardinals have an investment in him and obviously an emotional attachment to him, too. I think so. And he, for his part, 
like all athletes that have had success, he still thinks that he can do it. There are very few top-level athletes, and Matt Carpenter was a guy that was top 10 in MVP voting twice. Very few top-level athletes that once they get older figure, I can't do it anymore. Peyton Manning took Peyton Manning a long time to come to that realization. Willie Mays never did come to that realization. Steve Carlton never did. Albert is not coming to that realization. So why should... Not, not to compare Carp to those guys, but he had less runway to fall off of at the end. Do you think it's difficult because of Yachty and Wayno? Because they're obviously still playing at a certain level at a certain age to where the the realistic nature that I think you and I would take about an aging player doesn't necessarily exist as much within the Cardinals right now because you have Yadi and Wayno who are doing everything right and having results. So maybe they're thinking, oh, Matt Carpenter's doing everything right. He's going to have the results too because I'm trying to land on something other than he's a great person and has done a lot for us and is an important teammate within the clubhouse. So that's why he's getting these opportunities. Oh, and the contract, of course. And I, I do think that the Cardinals still look at 2018 when he hit 140 in April and May and then came back and wound up hitting 36 home runs. 2018. Just three years ago. 2018. I know. I know, but uh, that I still think they look at that, especially because, remember, they brought him in and said, your metrics are fine. Don't yeah, change anything. Yeah. And that's what they're saying now. The metrics are fine. But a lot has changed in three years. I was in Connecticut, Randy, in 2018. <laughs> I mean, life has changed drastically. We've gone through a pandemic since then. Yeah. 2018. Whew. Yeah, so uh, he is going to get the benefit of the doubt. And when Mike Schilt says that, by the way, trust that Carpenter is going to get a lot of, lot of at-bats. There's a lot of runway that they're giving him to try to get this thing fixed. Yeah, from the 618, uh, they said what I took from that inter- interview is that if Schilt thinks Carp has a bountiful harvest coming, that means they're going to keep playing him. Yep, I- I'm 100%. In agreement there. That's Michelle. I'm Randy, and that's today's fresh take on 101 ESPN. Coming up, the Blues are hot. They play Minnesota again tonight. We're going to talk to the voice of the Blues, Chris Kerber, next here on 101 ESPN. Your fourth place Blues are back in action tonight. Seven o'clock with the action. Six o'clock pregame with Alex Ferrario. And then at seven, Joe Vitale and Chris Kerber is with us now. Have the call. Kerbs, the voice of the Blues, now on the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line. Good morning, sir. I'll bet you're feeling better now than you did like last week at this time. Uh, you're you're feeling a, a little more upbeat like everybody else is, and you're looking forward to another game tonight. Absolutely. Curbs, it seems like Mike Hoffman was playing with a sense of purpose uh, in the game over the weekend. Do you think that that's enough to keep him here, though? Do you think that the Blues are going to make a move, and do you think it involves Mike Hoffman? Yeah, it, it, there's a great question. I, I think, honestly, not, not even just so much with Mike Hoffman, and we can get to him in a second, but I, I, think, I think if you're Doug Armstrong, you're not overreacting to what's going on right now. And, and the reality of it is, is, uh, in trying to figure out what you do at this trade deadline, did the last three games potentially change your course? Yeah, I, I think it did, actually. There'd be a difference right now looking at yourself 15 games to go and seven points out versus versus in the spot with 15 games to go. But having said that, if you compare yourself right now to Colorado, to Las Vegas, to some of the other teams in the other divisions, to Tampa Bay, and, and how it's going – that's the evaluation and the assessment that Doug Armstrong has to make. Where does he really believe his team is in comparison to those teams right now? 
and some of it controllable, some of it not. I mean, look, the, the injuries this season, but then the loss of guys over the last couple of years to career-ending injuries and then free agency have changed the look of this hockey team. So I, I think that's where this is going to go. Depending on what you get offered, sometimes, Michelle, when it comes to a guy like Mike Hoffman, the question is, what could you get offered and what do you need? And I think the injury to Robert Thomas drastically changes the potential look on that front because Mike Hoffman's the only guy you've got right now that has some offensive pop to him, and we obviously saw that in, in the last game. You can look at it right now as Mike Hoffman is the guy that you picked up as a rental for the playoff push. And, and I think Doug Armstrong has, has shown that he'll look at things that way sometimes rather than just trade a guy that's going to be a free agent. So um, it's an interesting one. I think if the, right now you're seeing some pretty good prices paid by teams uh, being able to, uh, to move some guys for some first-round picks. We saw Toronto give up a first-round pick for Nick Foligno. So, I mean, if, if, and I don't think you're going to get a first-round pick for Mike Hoffman, but if it's high enough or there's a hockey trade coming back, yes, I could see a move getting made. But I could also I could also sit here and convince you that he might be the rental player that uh, you don't have to trade for. Curbs, I was a little bit surprised with uh, Felino garnering a number one that Taylor Hall only garnered a number two. Both UFAs coming up. Taylor Hall obviously has had a, a tough season, but uh, Taylor Hall is what everybody seems to be looking for—a former MVP that can that's in his prime, and we know he can score. Yeah, I think part of the difference there is. Somebody looks at Taylor Hall and you're going, okay, I mean, this is a guy that's been moved from Edmonton to New Jersey to Arizona to to Buffalo. Um, And and it's one of those situations where uh, I I think that they know the situation, the desperate nature of what Buffalo was uh, was dealing with. And and you also just you you may not know exactly what he's going to bring to your to your locker room. The flip side, Toronto knows exactly what they needed. And they bring in a huge character guy and a leader in uh, in Nick Foligno, you know, uh, that, that has gone through some playoff uh, battles with the Columbus Blue Jackets. So I, I think it's kind of a difference in where the two organizations are. Uh, I think, you know, Boston's scrapping and clawing just to make the playoffs. Toronto's definitely going to make it and, and is looking to try and go right over the top. And they were willing to give a little bit more for it. So, yeah, the, some of the prices are, you know, somewhat interesting, but, I wonder, Randy, if teams are willing right now because of really not having been able to see some of these junior players much and, and what mm-hmm. this draft could mean if they're willing to, to slide first or second round picks this year more than in previous years. Good point. And in fairness, we should note that Buffalo has Doug Armstrong's number blocked now. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, uh, well, what you should do, I mean, and, and um, I'm a Kevin Adams fan. I, I, he was actually he was at Miami when when I was doing games there. We were, we were the same age. He was a first round draft pick of the Boston Bruins, and he won a cup with Carolina. He's and he's he's a smart guy and a really good guy. At the same time, when you go to your owner and you go, "Hey, Doug Armstrong called. You better have your ducks in a row. No <laughs> doubt about it." <laughs> Speaking of of the calls from Buffalo Curves, let's talk about Ryan O'Reilly. Sometimes when a team is in a bad spot, you need your best players and your leaders to pull you out of it. And it seems like Ryan O'Reilly has played a huge part in the Blues getting out of that losing streak. You know, he has a hat trick on Friday. He scores that unbelievable overtime goal on Saturday. What are you seeing out of Ryan O'Reilly? Are you seeing anything different with him? I'll, no, you're seeing exactly the years you're seeing him. You are seeing him. And, and I'll go to, well, let me throw this at you first. And I know this one's going to be impossible to answer because we'd have to scour some research to do it. But 
Could there be a worse trade than what Buffalo made with Ryan O'Reilly in the last 10 years in the league? No. I mean, I mean, I don't know what which one it would be, but you're a team trying to turn things around. You've got a character guy. You've got a guy that works harder than just about anybody you've ever seen, right? And, oh, yeah. uh, and, and, and you walk from him. But go back to the beginning, and, and I almost – I don't have you guys gotten to the point, and I hope this doesn't sound better, really don't, but – but I, I don't like to compare things right now all the time to the eighteen nineteen season because it, it was a year and a half ago and this team is very different. But this is comparable. If you go back to October to January of that season, Ryan O'Reilly's first season with the team, he was leaps and bounds by far the best St. Louis Blues player. He was the most consistent. He was the, he was the most game ready. He was the most competitive guy that entire stretch. So when the team was struggling, the one guy, though, that you were looking for that was doing everything right was Ryan O'Reilly. So what you're seeing now, even even when they were going through it, you know, and yeah, he, he gives up the puck to Kale McCarr at the blue line. And then as a captain, he said, he was, oh, that one was on me. And I mean, just the honesty for him to say, I even panicked in that situation. Mm-hmm. Told you the psyche of the team at the time. But no, you're you're not seeing anything different. And I'll tell you, that backhand goal that he scored, he practices those things. I mean, that's just, that just doesn't come out of nowhere. He does drills where he practices lifting his backhand in tight places. I mean, it really, when you get a chance to watch him in practice on a regular basis, you see it. And then when you see it on the ice, you're thrilled for him, but you're not necessarily surprised. Curbs, obviously two in a row against Minnesota. And Minnesota is not what we saw on Friday night. They're more like what we saw on Saturday night. And the Blues will have their hands full tonight. But the Blues are a little bit better than Minnesota. I think that if you look across the board, even with the injuries, the Blues just have a little bit more oomph among their group of players than Minnesota does. Well, I like I like this matchup, Randy. And I like the fact that, you know, the, the Blues are healthier than they were three or four weeks ago, not only healthier, but the guys that were coming back and now have some games under their belt. And no, we're not out of the the injury woods by any stretch of the imagination, but you still like the depth of this hockey team as a result of it. And you're staring down a great situation tonight. I mean, if you, if you manage, and it's hard to beat a team two times in a row, much less three, Mm -hmm. but if you go out to Minnesota and find a way to beat those guys today, you will pull Minnesota. You'll pull them to within five points of you with four games head to head. I mean, you have, you will have put third place back within the picture here. And so the, the, this is a huge game tonight. And, you know, starting tonight, you've got eight of your next nine, four against Minnesota, four against Colorado, and then Arizona slipped in there. These next line nine games are obviously huge. That's an understatement, but uh, just, just keeping this thing on a roll, you like the matchups and, and the blues plan is pretty simple. Well, I say it's simple. It's when it's described. They want to get in on, on the Minnesota defense. They, they, they fuel their play from the back end. Uh, it's a veteran group. It's a smart group. And when the Blues wreaked havoc on them two games ago, they got in on the defense. When they didn't wreak havoc on them is in that last game where the Blues tried to stick handle everything at the blue line rather than get the puck in and make their defenseman turn and go get it. I would look for more of that. Make the defenseman turn and go get a game plan tonight, especially with the Blues playing on the road and having the second change or having the uh, to put their players on the ice first. All right, Curbs. One last thing before we let you go. Uh, at two o'clock today, I'm going to give you the choice. The Blues will have acquired 
a a third line like a a sixth seventh type forward or a big defenseman what would you rather have a a big Uh, defensive defenseman yeah uh we're we're going with the defenseman um we're going with the defenseman that our defensive core has just taken a hit you know when you consider the fact of what you had to win the cup and you've lost carl gunnerson for the rest of the year you you You've obviously lost Jay Bomeister a year ago. Alex Petrangelo left with via free agency. Um, with, without a shred of doubt in my mind, if if, if there's one area that, that you're going to try and shore up right now, I would think it would be on the defensive side of things. And I wonder if Dallas would move Oleskiak. That's a guy that uh, JR brought up in his piece in The Athletic this morning, and that he c- kind of fits the bill, doesn't he? He's a monster, and, and he's been pretty good back there. Well, here's the unique aspect of the trade deadline today. And, and yet you saw this with San Jose trading Devin Dubnik to Colorado. And that is that right now, San Jose and Colorado are in the same division. Next year, you won't be, right? So in that case, the case that you're talking about with Alexiak, it is an intriguing one. It is a big guy. It doesn't so much impact Dallas this season because the Blues and the Dallas Stars are not in there. Now, he's, an un, he's a re, unrestricted free agent. Mm-hmm. So who knows what direction it goes. But having said that, any type of move like this between some of these teams, you could be making a move with a team that's in your division again next year. And, and it'll be kind of fascinating to see how some of these things play out over the course of today because of that. Because yeah. you may, you may, there may be a perfect deal that in a normal situation you're not going to make because it's inside your own division. But this year may be a difference maker, and you might be willing to make it. It'll make it interesting. 2 o'clock is trade deadline time, St. Louis time. Curb's always good to hear your voice, and we'll hear it again tonight as the Blues take on the Wild. Thanks for your time. All right. Thanks, you guys. Uh, Have an awesome start to your week. You too. That is our friend Chris Kerber, the voice of the Blues, here on 101 ESPN. Coming up, we've got the fight. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Welcome back to Character and Smallman on this Monday. It's 837, which means it's time for the fight. Hopefully we open up the week with a good fight. We need a good competitor to kick things off and hopefully take down Randy. Normally I cheer for Randy, but let's let's disrupt it a little bit today. All right, our fighter today is Kurt. What's up, Kurt? How you doing? I'm good. How are you? Doing well. How was your weekend? It was good, thank you. I love it. All right, well, let's get going on the fight here. Hideki Matsuyama won the Masters Tournament yesterday, becoming the first Japanese man to do so. Prior to him, who was the last non-American to win the Masters? Was it Sergio Garcia, Danny Willett, or Adam Scott? Sergio Garcia. Captain Ryan O'Reilly scored a hat trick on Friday in the Blues' 9-1 win over the Wild. Who was the last Blue to score a hat trick before this? Was it David Perron? Zach Sanford or Jaden Schwartz? Jaden Perron. Okay, Kurt, the Rams moved from L.A. to St. Louis in 1995. Who was their first draft pick as the St. Louis Rams? Was it Kevin Carter, Lawrence Phillips, or Orlando Pace? I believe it was Kevin Carter. 
and the Montreal Expos franchise relocated to Washington, D.C. and began playing as the Washington Nationals in what year? Was it 2004, 2005, or 2006? 2004. Okay, we are checking our score here, and Randy is on his way in. He's wearing our 101 ESPN zip-up today, which is a very nice piece of gear. Randy, as you're getting settled in, please say hello to Kurt. Kurt, great to have you with us this morning. Thanks for listening. Thanks for playing. How are you doing? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm doing very well, thanks. How was your weekend? It was good, thank you. Good. All right, Randy. Question number one. Yes, ma'am. Hideki Matsuyama won the Masters Tournament yesterday, becoming the first Japanese man to do so. Uh Prior to him, who was the last non-American to win the Masters? Last non-American to win the Masters. Um... Right off the top of my head, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to use the the lifeline here. Sergio Garcia, mm-hmm. Danny Willett, or Adam Scott. The first name that came into my mind was Adam Scott. Um, Danny Willett was, I, did, did, he won like three years ago. I, I think I'm gonna go with Danny Willett. Captain Ryan O'Reilly scored a hat trick on Friday in the Blues' 9-1 win over the Wild. Mm -hmm. Who was the last Blue to score a hat trick before this? Um, hmm. Was not Mike Hoffman. He did score two in a game. Uh, Somebody had to do it this year. It wasn't Schwartzy, because he only had two. Uh, who had a hat trick this year? Um... Jenner? No. Um, I will go with, I don't know if anybody had had one this year. So we might have to go back to last year. And uh, I'm going to say that it was indeed Braden Shen. Randy, the Rams moved from L.A. to St. Louis in 1995. Yes, did. Who was their first draft pick as the St. Louis Rams? First draft pick, St. Louis Rams, Kevin Carter, number 90, whatever. <laughs> I've forgotten. And the Montreal Expos franchise relocated to Washington, D.C. and began playing as the Washington Nationals in what year? 2005. All right. Kurt and Randy, we have a tie. We have a tie between both of you. Hmm. So here's how this is going to work, Kurt. I'm going to read the tiebreaker question. As I am reading it, Randy's going to write down his answer on what I believe is... Just a hunk of paper. No, no, that is not just a hunk of paper. Oh, that's Edward Jones Dome paper. That is from the Edward Jones Dome. They used, to, they used to give those out in the press box. And low-key, that is a great pad of paper. I don't know what it is. It's, they were great. It's the consistency of the paper, or maybe because you flip it over the top, but it's not like a legal pad, so you can tear it easily from the top. Best thing the Rams ever did, really, in my Edward opinion. Edward Jones did it. Yeah, Edward Jones did it, not the Rams. <laughs> but anyway, great pad of paper. Jealous that you still have one, Randy. But anyway, Kurt, I'm going to read the question. Randy's going to write it down. You're going to get first crack at it. Um, it's going. To, then Randy will obviously reveal what he wrote down. First to get it correct or closest to the pin wins. Okay, Kurt? Okay. The question is, 
How many times did the St. Louis football Cardinals advance to the playoffs during their 28-year stay in St. Louis? How many times? One more time. Your tiebreaker question is this. How many times did the St. Louis football Cardinals advance to the playoffs during their 28-year stay in St. Louis? I'm going to say four. What, Kurt, you said four? Yes. Okay, Randy, your answer is? Say it out loud, please. Three. Emily, ring the bell. The winner and new champion of the fight. Average Joe Listener. The fight sponsored by Ryan Kelly and HeroLoan.com. Check out how they help veterans and service members at the new and improved HeroLoan.com. Congratulations, Kurt. You took Randy down on this Monday. Not a great start to the week for Randy, gotta say. I'm sorry, Randy. (laughs) (laughs) You got the tiebreaker question correct. Before we reveal it, let's run through everything else. So the last non-American to win the Masters before Hideki Matsuyama was Sergio Garcia, who's from Spain. He won it back in 2017. Prior to Ryan O'Reilly's hat trick on Friday, the last blue to score a hat trick was Zach Sanford. Four goals versus Vegas on February 13th, 2020. When the Rams moved to St. Louis, their first draft pick as the St. Louis Rams was Kevin Carter, sixth overall. And the Washington Nationals started playing as the Nationals and not the Montreal Expos in 2005. Now, the tiebreaker question was, how many times did the St. Louis football Cardinals advance to the playoffs during their 28-year stay in St. Louis? Kurt got it on the nose four times, 1964, 1974, 1975, and 1982. Uh, they did not make the playoffs in 1964. I'm sorry. They, uh, they went made the playoffs in 74, 75, and 82. That's so, what their Wikipedia said. Uh, no, in 1964, they, they had the old playoff bowl, but they finished second in their division, and they didn't have wild cards at that time. So it was not the the playoffs. So I apologize for that. Well, he he still gets it, but just for your knowledge, the Cardinals uh, made the playoffs three times. It's the St. Louis football Cardinals. Okay. Well, 74, 75, 82. So you're telling me 64 and no. No. Okay, well, you know what, Kurt? We're going to give it to you anyway. Absolutely. Justice for Absolutely. Kurt. Absolutely. So we are going to talk to you tomorrow, and you'll get one step closer to the Hall of Fame. Thank you very much. All right, thanks, thanks. Kurt. All right, bye. We appreciate it. 9-3-2 and two in 64 in that 14-game schedule. Now, you know I run Burgundy, these questions, and I was surprised that you would get that one wrong. Oh, well, I, th- I wrote down the years. No, I know. That's why <laughs> when, when you held it up, I was like, oh, man, this one I thought would be a slam dunk for Randy because yeah. I didn't know the, the background. But, yeah, and not only did he write down three, he blocked it out. He wrote it really fancy. <laughs> like, he was very so, confident in his answer of three. Yeah. So, that's the way it goes. That is the fight on 101 ESPN. Next up, you're killing me, Smalls, an early edition here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. All right, it's time for... You're killing me, Smalls. Randy, the Padres, they've done it. They have finally done it for the first time in their 52-year history. They have a no-hitter. Joe Musgrove, San Diego native, was able to do it on uh, over the weekend. He went nine innings through 112 pitches, had 10 strikeouts as they beat the Rangers three to, no- three to nothing. Not only the Padres' first no-hitter, first one of the season. 
And this is a franchise that has had Cy Young Award winners. They had Randy Jones. They had Jake Peavy when he was at the top of his game. They've acquired over the years some really good pitchers. It's amazing that you can go as long as they did, more than a half century, without having a no-hitter. The Mets went a long time. The Mets... Hey, the one against the Cardinals doesn't count any. Well, it does, but it shouldn't. The Johan Santana one, because that there was a foul ball that uh, was counted a hit. But let's talk about Joe Musgrove being from there mm-hmm. and being able to have the first no-hitter in Padres history. It's a great convergence of events. And I wonder if this will be just part of a magical year for the Padres. I hope so. I mean, I shouldn't say that because obviously we want the Cardinals to win because we cheer for St. Louis, but the Padres are such a fun team. They are. And for them, magical would be making it to the NLCS and losing in seven to the Cardinals. (laughs) Yes, it would. Now, they might have some magic, but do they have devil magic? We have devil magic here. That's right. That's right. And as we've learned, most magic is no match for devil magic. We'll get into the playoffs and they'll say, who's this Austin Dean with a 930 OPS? John Nagowski, who? Who? (laughs) Right. Um, So, you know, when a no-hitter is happening in baseball, superstitions arise. And when Joe Musgrove is cooking on Friday night, it's not just the people like us who don't want it mentioned or don't want it tweeted. He's in the groove, too, and doesn't want to disrupt what's happening. It doesn't matter even if nature calls. Um, I think I went through 11 or 12 water bottles tonight, and I always keep them empty ones next to me so I can kind of keep track of how many I'm drinking throughout the game. Um, And I had to piss so bad in, like, the fourth or fifth inning. Um, but I couldn't. That was the one thing I didn't want to break, like the superstition of it. Didn't want me to have to go, you know, use the bathroom in the middle of the start. He's counting the water bottles he's consuming. He has to go to the bathroom so bad, but he can't. He can't go. What would you have done? I got to go to the bathroom. I, I wouldn't be able to focus on my job. That's what I thought. Have you, if you've ever been on a road trip or been in a moment when you absolutely need to use the restroom and you can't, it's all you can think about. It mm-hmm. consumes you. Sometimes you even get stomach pains. I don't know how he's staring at the empty water bottles. He's got to go so badly and he's able to continue on and get the no-hitter. I think it makes it more impressive it personally. <laughs> Maybe it prevented him from actually thinking about the pitching part of things. That's true. Maybe he just wanted to make quick and easy yeah. work of things so he could get <laughs> okay, to the I'm, I'm throwing strikes here. <laughs> and then th- that's right. And then think about that too. At, you have to go so badly. The, you've finally done it. The game is over. That everyone's running to celebrate. You have to do post-game media. All of these things are happening. Yeah. Could have been really ugly if you would have allowed, uh, allowed a hit, by the way. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Oh, no, I can relax. Oh, no. Oh, no. And then he's Miles Davis. <laughs> You're killing me, Smalls. Okay, Randy, let's talk a little bit about Jason Tatum. So the Nuggets had kind of a meltdown yesterday. They were leading the Celtics for most of the game, and they just absolutely imploded. Boston took advantage. The Celtics ended the game on a 40-8 to run yesterday. They held Denver to just eight points in the fourth quarter. They were able to beat the Nuggets 105-87. to Jason Tatum led the Celtics with 28 points, 14 in the fourth quarter. But on Friday night, he had an unbelievable game, Randy. He became, he had 53 points on Friday night. He was the youngest player in Celtics history to score 50 in a single game and the first since Larry Bird to score as many as 53 points. And they ended up winning that game in overtime over A-Rod's new team, the Minnesota Timberwolves. He finished with 53 points, 16 of 25 shooting, 10 rebounds, and four assists. This is a franchise that, as you mentioned, had Larry Bird, it had a young Kevin McHale, it had Bob Cousy, it had Bill Russell. It's had some of the greatest stars in the history of the sport. 
and he's the youngest to score 50 for them. Yes. That's just amazing. And the first Celtics player to produce 50, 50 or more points, 10 or more rebounds in a single game since Larry Bird, as I mentioned, November 10th, 1989. It's amazing that it's been that long for them, right. too. But good for Jason. And we had Kevin Harlan on the fast lane over a year ago. I guess it was in the spring before the pandemic hit. And he said then that he thought that Jason Tatum was one of the top five all-around players in the whole league. And I wonder if that's even gone up now. There there are not many better than Jason Tatum on both ends of the floor. Well, if you're going to start a team right now, if you're drafting players to start a team with, how many players do you get to before you get to Tatum? Boy, not many. Not at that age. 23 still, I believe. It was drafted at 19 or 18, 19. He's... Uh, if I'm starting a team... Yeah, he just turned 23 in March. May, I think I would take him ahead of Zion. And Zion's awesome. He is. Uh, Devin Booker. But Devin Booker, he's a great shooter, but I don't think that he is what Tatum is. He's a terrific player. Luka? Maybe Luka. Yeah, Luka's a good call. Yeah, but there are not many that I would take ahead of him. And by the way, it'd probably be a coin flip. I would take... Zion's offense is a little bit better than Tatum's. Tatum's defense is a lot better than Zion's. And I think Tatum is going to be there. I'm concerned about Zion having a long career. Really? Yeah. So I I would really... Uh, he, he's absolutely top five and maybe top two. He's in that convo. I think so. You're killing me, Smalls. One more note, Randy, from the NBA. So... Kevin Durant has taken a lot of heat for joining the Warriors and a super team to chase a championship. And now he's playing for Brooklyn and he's got a lot of stars there too. So it's something that's chased him for a long time. So he said that he right now is not motivated anymore by, by championships. He doesn't play for championships. He was talking to Rachel Nichols on sports center. And he said that it's more important for him to see how good he can be. He said, I wasn't expecting to be a happy human being from a title. I was just expecting, you know, like the, end of a movie once you work so hard and everybody tells you yo this is what you need to be working for is this gold ball and these rings and I'm just like all right cool let me lock in on that and I locked in on wanting to achieve that but I also realized it's a lot of stuff that factors in it that's out of my control Michael Jordan didn't think that way LeBron doesn't think that way and that's why the greatest are considered the greatest because we know that Michael went 6-0 and in finals and willed his team to victory. And even when he wasn't on his game trying to show, uh, he was always trying to show how great he was. But even when he wasn't on his game, he did things to lead his team to championships. And that's why Kevin Durant will likely not be in that conversation. Even though he was a two-time MVP in the finals, he is obviously a great player. Mm-hmm. But if your ultimate goal as an NBA player isn't to achieve championships, then it's hard for me to put you at the top of the list. All if you aren't if you aren't getting those championships. Also, how are you determining how good you are? If if you're saying that your motivator is to see how good you can be as a person, then what is what's your barometer of success if it's not a championship? Right. Maybe he's maybe he wants to be Charles Barkley. Now he's he's got the championships, but my point is maybe he wants to be perceived as a great player and doesn't really care about the championships. Barkley cared; he just didn't win any. Right. 
Well, and at this point, KD has nothing left to prove. Right. I mean, he's already an incredible player. He's cemented his legacy in so many ways, so it's easier for him to say something like this now. You say that, but doesn't wouldn't his career have more shine if he won more titles than LeBron did? Oh, of course. And LeBron's won four, correct? I think he's four and six yeah. in finals. So... He two. He won the Lakers last year. Two with Miami. One with Cleveland. Four. Yep. Twenty twelve, thirteen, sixteen, and twenty. So if you're Kevin Durant, and you have two. You this group you're with now. Keep them together. You can probably win three. So I would think that people would if he would win five, especially if he would go like five and zero or five and one, mm-hmm. then he would be perceived as better than LeBron. If he doesn't win more championships than LeBron, he'll never be perceived as better than LeBron. Do you really think even if he won five and LeBron won four, that people would say KD was better than LeBron? Because they would always say he played with so many stars around him. Well, so did LeBron. True, but, well, I mean, what LeBron did with Cleveland, I think, will always be the thing that stands above everything else. But if you look at Durant, Winning MVP in the finals with Curry and Thompson and that group around, pretty impressive too. It is, absolutely. But the other thing about LeBron is that he lost six finals. Not him, but his teams did. And that has an effect on his legacy as well. I'm just, there was a time when LeBron was at his peak a few years ago where Kevin Durant was considered the best player in the game. Now, what it would do is, just like MJ and LeBron, it would at least cause an argument with KD and, and LeBron. And isn't that what we love That's in sports what we love. is the argument? Yeah. yeah. Thanks, Michelle. You got it. Coming up next on 101 ESPN, we talked earlier about Matt Carpenter and uh, his struggles. So we mentioned it earlier in the season. How do the Cardinals go about getting him out of his struggles and is it worth it for them? That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> It's 9.03 in St. Louis. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler at Gillette. Actually, it'd be 9.04 in 2, 1, woof. 9.04, your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Michelle Smallman, Randy Carricker, great to have you with us. Both the Blues and the Cardinals in action tonight. Cardinals at home, 645. And that one can be seen on Bally Sports Midwest as they take on the Nationals. And the Blues play here on 101 ESPN at 7 o'clock, 6 o'clock pregame with Alex Ferrario as they take on Minnesota, Michelle, for the third time in a row. You think they win again tonight? I do. I do, too. I'm... I I am totally reactionary, and I am confident in them now. It is amazing how different you can feel within a one week. Yeah, three wins in a row, and all of a sudden, yeah, we're all over it. This is great. No more panic bus. No. And we do have a little bit of a panic bus for the Cardinals, who have allowed nine runs in each of their last couple of games, and they aren't getting production from half of their lineup. Now, Tommy Edmonds performing at a very high level. Paul Goldschmidt, Nolan Arenado, Yachty, all performing at a very high level. But when you look at the course of the season, the outfield has yet to be really productive, although a little bit better of late. Four hits yesterday among that group, and they aren't... uh, they aren't getting anything out of the shortstop position yet either, which is, it's not alarming, but it's a, a bit of a concern because normally Paul DeYoung gets off to pretty hot starts. Yeah, that's, I think, what pops out to me is that normally we're talking about not getting production from him necessarily later in the season. So if you're not getting it now, I wonder when it's going to click in. Yesterday, 
the manager, Mike Schilt, talked about a bountiful harvest that will be forthcoming from Matt Carpenter because he's hitting the ball hard and he's hitting it with the right trajectory and getting the ball in the air, which would alleviate some of the problems, obviously, because if you had a productive Carpenter playing second, you could play Edmund in the outfield. Sure. Problem is, with the great exit velocity and the launch angle, the fact of the matter is, Carpenter is 0 for 12 on the season. He went 2 for 37 in spring training. So 2 for 49 in the calendar year, and that's after a year last year in which he struggled mightily to hit. And I know that Mike Schilt knows a whole lot more about baseball and analytics than I do. But at some point, the production is what plays. It's not... It's not the great stats for exit velocity or launch angle or those things. It's ultimately how many hits you get. Can we hear the the cut again from Mike Schilt? Absolutely. I think that we need to listen to what he had to say. All right. This is Mike Schilt after the game yesterday talking about the 0 for 12 start for Mark. It's, I'm literally scratching my head um, at, at the at the madness that is taking place with Carp um, because – there's too many balls that get hit that are going out of the ballpark that don't have the trajectory and the measurables that exists in our game and don't get rewarded. You know, I mean, it just, it's, it's really, um, it's almost indescribable, but it's definitely baffling. Um, I mean, just, just a chances are game of proposition, right? You hit the ball hard, you hit it and do it things right a certain way that, you know, thing that, that's frustrating and also um, unbelievable also about this game is and hard about this game probably more than anything is you can do everything right with and get zero result that's positive and um, you accept that that's why it's such a mentally and physically demanding game um, you do accept that but there's also some reason within it and at some point you go man how many times is a guy going to put a swing like that on a baseball and, and not be rewarded, um, you, you know, and he's just done it a lot in the spring and, and this season. And and um, so he's saving up for a, a bountiful harvest. He's going to um, he's going to sow the, the um, seeds that he's planting here at some point. I can promise you that the game's not that cruel. So he's doing everything right. We are seeing some hard hit balls, but I think the key there, and Mike Schultz just laid it out, is that there's zero results, and there hasn't been results for a long time. And if Mike Schultz thinks that there's going to be a bountiful harvest coming soon for Matt Carpenter, I certainly hope he's correct, but I don't have that same confidence. And this is not a situation that will call for this, but I just go back to the great Hall of Famer, Whitey Herzog, who said, patience is a virtue, but patience will get you fired, too. That's true. And you have to be careful because ultimately, all the hit balls in the world, hard hit balls that are not hits, they're not helping you win games. No. And you can have great respect and affection for a player, but Mike Schultz also judged on performance and judged on the wins and the losses. And I don't know how much of this is his decision, how much of it is the front office's decision because of the contract. I know he's a great teammate. He's been everything you could ever ask for out of the Cardinals, so it's a delicate situation. But I just wonder how much longer this is going to go on when you're getting no production. Well, one of the things that the Cardinals can say, and this is kind of a negative about the organization, is... We don't have anybody better in the organization. We don't have anybody better to bring from our alternate camp in Soje that would 
be more effective at mm-hmm. that job than he is. That they're running with a short bench anyway because of the way baseball is played now. And if they need a pinch hitter, they're kind of stuck because contract or not, if everybody else was making the minimum, he's he's got more history than Edmundo Sosa. True. And there really isn't a guy where you say, okay, I'll bring him over. I'll get rid of Carpenter, and he gives me a better chance. Now, are there guys out there, were there guys out there during the offseason on the market that would provide more hope for me? Yes, but you aren't going to go out and get those guys on April 12th. So that's going to be your guy. And Mike Schilt's job, as far as I'm concerned, is to try to get the most out of Marp while limiting his play because the more he plays the more you do open yourself up for criticism when he continues to fail. As you can imagine, Randy, we're getting a lot of response mm-hmm. about this to the text line 65780. This one from the 314. Schilt and the Cardinals sound like that X that just won't let go. Yeah. Um, I-, I still love you. I still love you. Stay remember, with me. Remember the good times. Yeah. It was so good three years ago. It really was, but it so was three great. years ago. Remember that salsa? We were all eating salsa. It was so fun. We've we grown loved apart it. now, though. Haven't we? You'd think so. That's <laughs> that's a good point. This from the 636. I love Matt Carpenter, but there's no excuse for a professional baseball player to be completely defeated by the shift. No. And he's been defeated more than anybody else by the shift. And I totally understand why hitters can't go the other way now. The way they're pitched, they can't go the other way. But most of the guys, if not all of the other guys, the left-handed hitters that have to deal with the shift going all the way back to Big Poppy, they hit the ball over the fence. Rizzo hits the ball over the fence. Bellinger hits the ball over the fence. It's That is part of the deal. When Adrian Gonzalez was going against the shift, a couple of times he bunted, but he would hit the ball over the fence. Now, at this stage of his baseball existence, Carpenter doesn't hit the ball over fences. And and that's the best way. If you aren't gonna if you can't hit the other way, some people can't, the best thing to do is to hit the ball over the fence, and he can't do that either. From the six three six, I don't care about hard hit balls. Just use your eyes. He's been late on nearly every fastball he sees. He does have, and last year I thought Brad Thompson spelled it out perfectly. If if you were going to use your imagination, it looks like he's swinging the bat underwater. He does not have the bat speed that he once had. A lot of people wondering why he just doesn't bunt. I don't know if he can. Well, that's one of the problems in baseball now that I have with baseball. A lot of people don't have a problem with baseball. But not only do people not bunt, it's because they don't have the capability. You might have, and, and this would be a really uh, optimistic estimate, Michelle, you might have 10% of the players in baseball, the position players that are capable of bunting. They just, they don't try, they don't practice, they can't do it. And again, with everybody throwing 98 miles an hour, it's harder to bunt than it used to be too. Absolutely. Uh, one more, Randy from the 573. Carp seems like he's outmatched in the box and that he's a continuous liability. Well, the numbers would seem to indicate that. Now, Mike Schilt is seeing something different. He's looking at it. He's not counting it as... Outs. He's counting it as, okay, how, how do you look in that particular at-bat? He looks at those things closer than we do. And I just have to hope that there is a bountiful harvest on the horizon. But based on last year and this year, now we, we've got a pretty good, uh, what, what do we call these in baseball? Uh, sample size? Sample size, Pretty good yeah. sample size. 
and I'm I'm looking at it and saying it's not great. I, I do want to give you one more. This was three years ago, but it was a hot two months during that season. When have we seen an athlete whose performance is declining reach back and recapture that glory? I love Carpenter, but let's be realist. And I think that's a great point. Do we even have any person that we can really look back on and say, well, remember that one time that guy who had that hot two months three years ago, he was able to get back to that form? There's one guy. Matt Carpenter. (laughs) That was it. That's right. That's right. That's the one. Uh, That's Michelle. I'm Randy. And that is today's big thing on 101 ESPN. Coming up, a guy is losing money. Well, he's not losing money. He just doesn't have as much as he used to have. And Major League Baseball is losing money. And some people that we care about lost a few bucks last year. That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Michelle, our friends at Forbes magazine have been busy coming up with their list of richest owners in sports and also... Uh, talking and writing a, a lot about baseball and their losses. The new richest owner in the NFL is David Tepper of the Panthers. He's worth $14.5 billion. It's a lot of money. That is a lot of money. And to think about $14.5 billion, he's only the 142nd richest person in the world. <laughs> it's incredible. Now, here's another interesting note about the richest people in the world. Mm-hmm. We talked last week about the Chargers, one of the Chargers owners, one of the sisters in the family wanting to sell the franchise and that Jeff Bezos is interested in buying an NFL franchise. Yes. If Jeff Bezos, the owner of Amazon, would get a hold of an NFL franchise, he would be worth more than all the 31 other owners combined. That's outrageous. It's unbelievable, isn't it? It is unbelievable, and I would love to see that happen, Randy, because number two on this list of top 15 richest owners in the NFL is Jerry Jones at $8.9 billion. And we know Jerry is the ghost commissioner in so many Mm -hmm. ways. We know Jerry runs a lot of stuff within the NFL, and part of that is because he's been around a long time and he carries a lot of clout, but he carries a lot of clout because of the money that he has. And so I wonder how he would react to have someone like Jeff Bezos not only be at the top of the list, but bump him down to third and then automatically have so much pull because of the money that he has. And all of his money, Jerry's money, is from the Cowboys. It's not like Kroenke, who had the land and... uh, Married it. Yeah, that that helped. Although he and his wife are listed separately. Mm-hmm. Uh, by the way, and, and not that Stan is going to have to deal with this because he doesn't like Well, to. without getting into all the details of it, I mean, dealing with people with lower incomes wasn't something I particularly <laughs> look forward to, frankly. So he's not headed there. However, among all of the owners, his net worth, Stan Kroenke's net worth last year, which was at $1.13 billion plus, Fell to eight point two billion. He lost eighteen percent of his net worth. Now it doesn't say why, but I have to believe that the cost of that stadium had something to do with it. I would think so. Still number three on the list, though, at eight point two billion. Think about that. Yeah, he's doing well among NFL guys, and he's only fourteenth, by the way, among owners. A lot of soccer owners, and one guy that we should note, Dan Gilbert, who spent a lot of money to get that one Cavaliers championship. He is now the third richest owner in all of sports. 
at $51.9 billion. His net worth last year increased 699%. Woo! 699%. They went public. Yeah. Jeez. I wonder if he's still using Comic Sans when he sends nasty notes. He probably is. You know, money can't buy you taste, Randy, and that font (laughs) is just so gone. There's a song about that. Yeah, the Countess from the Real Housewives of of New York. Money can't buy a class. Elegance is learned, Randy. Yeah, there you go. Thanks. Uh, By the way, Mukesh Ambani, who is uh, the owner of the Mumbai Indians, he's the richest owner in all of sports at $84.5 billion. His net uh, worth last year went up 130% during the pandemic. Steve Ballmer, the Clippers owner, also went up 30%. He is the second uh, richest owner in sports at 68.7. Now, on the flip side, while those people were seeing their net worth go up, baseball, according to Forbes, took losses to the tune of $2,474,793,849. They got it down to the dollar of how much MLB lost last year. Dodgers, according to this report, lost the most at $183 million. Then the Cubs, Red Sox, Yankees, Astros, and number six among losses were the Cardinals at $124,145,618 and 31 cents. Which doesn't surprise me because the Cardinals obviously lean heavily on revenue through the gate. And if when you don't have fans there, you know that you're going to experience big losses. The Cubs, Randy, being number two on this list, I don't I was going to say, I don't know if it's quite biblical, but to lose $179 million is, is no small amount. No. And there's a lot that goes into losing money. For example, if you're the Cardinals and you're paying debt service on a stadium and you're building Ballpark Village, if you're the Cubs and you're building that mm-hmm. massive village around your facility, if you're the the uh, Dodgers and you've got that payroll, but you're also paying debt service on the franchise that you bought for several billion dollars. That goes into this. So it's not like, okay, they started from zero and lost $179 million last year in the, in the case of the Cubs. They count losses as payments that they have to make. It's not like us losing our job and then having to make our house payment. They count that as a loss yeah. when it's it, it's not really. They're still doing okay. But when you look at these markets, though, that make the top six, L.A., Chicago, Boston, New York, Houston, and then St. Louis. Mm -hmm. And it's teams that, A, are generally paying their players a lot of money. Whether the contracts are good or bad is not a part of it. But it's also, I would guess, all pretty highly leveraged teams. Jim Crane. Probably highly leveraged in buying the the Astros, the Yankees, Red Sox, Cubs, Dodgers, no question about that. And the Cardinals, for as much as people want to say they're cheap, they are. They do spend a lot of money for their team and for ancillary things. And we don't know how they how they count the ballpark village money. I always throw that in there because that might be a separate entity altogether. Whereas we would say, well, it's ballpark village. It's, of course, it's connected to the baseball team. The, if the DeWitt family says, no, this is a real estate thing. The the baseball team is across the street. Mm-hmm. This is a real estate venture for us. Then that makes it different. It really does. I Are you more impressed that the Cardinals went out and would acquire a star player like Nolan Arenado, knowing what they knew about how much money they were losing? No, I'm not surprised because they also know that Nolan Arenado is going to help them get back to 3.4 million tickets sold. And... 
The value of the franchise is going to increase. It's going to get higher when you have a guy like Arenado around. It's a great move on the part of the Cardinals. Trading for Nolan Arenado is like building Ballpark Village. It's going to help you make money in the long run. And they got $50 million from the Rockies. Yeah, that helped too. <laughs> that does. That it was an unbelievable deal, but I just know that so many fans do have that criticism that they sometimes levy against Mr. Yeah. DeWitt that he doesn't spend enough money. And to think that they're losing over $100 million and they're still going yeah. out there and making a move like that, I think is impressive. I, I think it's great. And I, uh, you know, anybody loses $124 million, I. I feel bad. Anybody loses 18% of their net worth, I feel bad for them. Um, not great. You do not feel one ounce of sadness or feel bummed out that Stan Kroenke lost that much money. Well, I told everyone in the room today that I have not been able to understand the emotion since 2002. So, yeah, I, I okay, I don't have any emotion. I oftentimes get stopped in Los Angeles and they'll go, are you that guy? You assholes go back to St. Louis. How funny would that be if you saw him and you went, are you that guy? And he said, yeah. And then you said, believe me. It's, a, it's awesome. What would you do if you saw him? You know, I had my moment with you him. You did. But what would you do? I don't think you would have done what I did. No, but I wouldn't be as lubricated up as you were either. No, no, I'm saying... I was just the right amount, Randy. Okay, perfect. I, okay. I had the liquid courage, but I was still all there. Okay. But I talked to him. I didn't yell at him. I didn't swear at him. I actually oh, I, spoke to him. Yeah. I, I would speak to him too, but you be, wouldn't yell at him. No, because Ra- I w- it would be rage blackout. I would. I would want to have a conversation about reality. You're not going to get reality. I can tell you that. Okay. Sorry. Darn. I'd want to have reality. Hey, speaking of the St. Louis Rams, one of our all-time favorites, Isaac Bruce, is coming back to town with his annual football camp this summer. And the Hall of Famer, the Hall of Famer, Isaac Bruce, joins us next with Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Michelle Smallman, Randy Carricker, and Michelle, as you know, I started doing this uh, job a long time ago. Started as an intern in 1983, so I've been around. I've covered literally thousands of athletes, and I have a select group of three, four, or five that are my absolute favorites of all time. And right there at the top of that list is Isaac Bruce, the Hall of Famer, who is coming back to town for his free football clinic on June 5th. And Isaac Bruce, the Hall of Famer, is with us now on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line on 101 ESPN. Good morning, Isaac Bruce. How are you? I'm doing well, Randy. Thanks for having me on the show, man. Long time no here, no see. Uh, hopefully we can rectify that uh, within the coming months here, man. How you doing? Everything's going great. And I was, uh, I said to Michelle, I wonder how he's doing. He, he get an extra year for the speech. Is that speech ready? Has that been like in, in a file folder for a year? <laughs> well, let's be honest. I haven't put pen to paper yet, but you know, it's, it's a speech that could write itself. And uh, you know, it mostly filled with a lot of thank yous and, and uh, very gracious and uh, you know, things of that nature. But, um, we're getting ready. We're going to start uh, getting things kind of uh, put on paper here soon and, and piece it up because you want to make sure that you stay within the time limit, which is uh, between six and eight minutes. But I've never seen anybody, anyone, <laughs> even the great Marvin Harrison, who is, it was called quieter, quieter than I am, 
went over about nine to ten minutes. So we'll see how that works. We were both there when Kurt went in, and Jerry Jones went about 50 minutes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, it, 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 it's those moments. And, uh, you know, when uh, you have contracts with, with uh, ESPN and, and, and people who broadcast that, that uh, induction, you know, yeah, some people want to get their money's worth, and some people do. So uh, we'll see how much money I have on the table at that time. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's your moment. I feel like once you get up on that stage, you've earned every second yeah. that you go over, Isaac. Don't you worry. But we in St. Louis, we love you, of course, for the magical moments you gave us on the field. But we continue to love you for everything that you do for St. Louis off the field. And I know that the Isaac Bruce Foundation has a football clinic coming up. We're going to talk about that here in a second. But I was just reading okay. a little bit about your foundation. And you've opened this foundation in 2006. And you have done so much for the St. Louis area. I know at least 7,500 kids have been going through the football clinics, which are free since 2007. And you are so committed to St. Louis and to making an impact here and continuing to pour back in. Is there one thing that you've been able to do with the foundation that you're the most proud of? Well, you know, I I truly enjoy the football camps because uh, it gives me an opportunity to really connect with the, uh, the, the, the next generation as far as football is concerned. And uh, I get a I get a chance to really, you know, kind of prophesy into their lives when closing up uh, meetings and sessions that we have. But, you know, we have a program called Flight 300 where we get an opportunity to service uh, students or student athletes who just can't afford to travel to their places or the cities where they're studying. Uh, we, we make it possible by plane, trains, automobiles. And we also kind of decorate their rooms, their dorm rooms, the place where they're staying. Uh, with, with the help of our partners. So that is very special to me because I was very uh, once a long time ago in that same situation where I couldn't afford an airline ticket. And, uh, you know, God provided a, a way for me and uh, he gave me an opportunity to do the same for other people. And Isaac, I know that uh, you were so proud of going to the University of Memphis and being able to yeah. further your education there too. And the scholarships that you give out for people that yeah. ordinarily wouldn't have near an opportunity to do so. I've been there for a couple of those presentations and those are always touching too. Yeah. Yeah. That's fun. I mean, we get the opportunity to serve uh, others who are headed to uh, their college or just, just probably short few funds. And we can step in and uh, just be that bridge until, you know, probably the next semester or that, that following season. So um, we're very grateful to be able to do that. And with the help of our partners, uh, we've just been, really exploding in a great way. I don't think the, uh, from, uh, 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 I don't think the pandemic really pushed us or stopped us from doing, uh, as far as the giving is concerned, but as far as, you know, everything else, uh, with the, with the gala and being able to have the football camps, you know, it springs back into play. So we're grateful to do it. We're grateful to impact the city of St. Louis the way we have and looking to do a lot more. Well, you mentioned the, the football clinic. It is free. Registration is open now. It's going to be on June 5th. Anyone interested can go to IsaacBruce.org to register. But can you tell people listening who might be wanting to attend the camp what they can expect? Well, they can get some uh, coaching. They can get uh, – they'll, they'll enjoy uh, work, uh, teamwork, being able to learn uh, routes, being able to learn blocking. Uh, we have coaches that volunteer that come out and help us every year to, to put it together. But just a, just a day of uh, being able to be outside, away from uh, the unfortunate norm, which is the pandemic right now, 
and being off a, a, an electronic piece, the cell phone or the iPad, you can put that down for a full hour and actually get outside and learn some skills as far as football is concerned. Isaac Bruce with us on 101 ESPN. Eight to 10-year-olds from 9 to 11 in the morning on June 5th, and then from noon to 2, 11 to 13-year-olds will be able to participate, and yeah. you can learn more and you can get registered as at IsaacBruce.org. Isaac, I want to talk to you about football a little bit because you're, you're a Hall of Famer, but we went through that stage where it was Calvin Johnson and Julio and A.J. Green, really big receivers. The guys coming out this year, uh, Jamar Chase, six foot two oh eight. Devontae Smith, six foot one seventy. Jalen Waddle, five ten one seventy seven. Seems like the Isaac Bruce, Tory Holt type receiver is coming back <laughs> into the game. You know what, Randy? I don't think we ever left. And uh, you know, I've been one of those guys that you know tell other people it's not the size of the dog in the fight. I mean, but it's the size of the fight in the dog. So um, it fluctuates at times. People get enamored with body types. Uh, you know, you saw the Calvin Johnsons. Uh, you saw the Randy Mosses, guys who are big, uh, who can run like deers. And, but at the same time, you see guys like me who are more of a technician and guys who can get in and out and work in zones. And not only that, but take the top off the, off the defense. Just that, 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 that frame of player. So it's coming back. Uh, you know, I think we've been around uh, a lot longer than what the Megatron size players. Mm-hmm. And we're the, uh, we're the constant as far as what you see at these NFL combines and NFL pro days. So you see a lot more of us than you see of them. They're very rare. They're the, the, the unicorns of the bunch. But guys like Jamar Chase and Devontae Smith who are coming out this year, man, they're, they're dynamic. They can get in and out of their breaks, catch the ball in traffic, and uh, played in some of the, 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 the toughest conferences that is college football, which is the SEC, and dominated at times. So I think those guys would do very well on the next level. Uh, as, as it approaches. When I watch Devontae Smith play, I see him glide like you. Yeah. Give, give me the Isaac Bruce scouting report on Devontae Smith. <laughs> oh, number one, he's tough. And uh, that's the first thing I look for. I look for a football player first, Randy. Someone that will run the football, someone that will tackle if, it, if, it, uh, if need be, and someone who can play special teams. He did all three of those things. So he's a football player, number one, that just so happens to play wide receiver. And he's a really great wide receiver. I mean, this guy can get in and out of his breaks. He's actually faster than what he looks. And I think he's probably faster when he puts the pads on. I mean, this guy was just dominant. And he rose to the level of competition that was around him. I mean, you look at uh, Waddle, who's also played with him. He's an explosive guy who probably a lot of people would have thought would have been the Heisman Trophy winner uh, coming out of Alabama this year if it had not been for Dante, uh, Devontae Smith. And Waddle being injured. So um, he, he, he's been doing it for a very long time. He had, 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 had the big catch in the, uh, in the championship game, I believe, his freshman year from Tua Talavoa, Tal- Tal- that guy that plays for Miami. <laughs> but Just Tua, he's, uh, You know, he, he, he's, been, he's, been, he's been awesome. He's been a guy that can take punishment and not afraid to stick his head in and make tackles on special teams. I think a lot of people haven't seen that, but he's done it. Okay, we need one more scouting report from you, but this time on your former teammate, Tori Holt, as a Hall of Famer. We're so excited to have you go and Isaac, and very disappointed that Tori, once again, so close, but didn't quite get the knock yet. But in your opinion, you have to tell us, why is Tori Holt a Hall of Famer? Well, you know what? It, 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 you can say this about what Tori accomplished on the field and see his impact because you still have, teams right now looking for the Tory Holtz of this world. 
uh, even from this draft, he's been compared to some of the guys who are coming out this year. And the way he ran routes, the way he played the game, uh, just from a statistical standpoint, you know, he was a guy that had 1,300 receiving yards consecutive, five of those. So I don't, I don't think that's been matched uh, within the history of, the fo- of this game we call football. And he had impactful plays, impactful moments uh, that will never be forgotten. Uh, he was part of a, a, an offense that, that's iconic, uh, that's often imitated but never duplicated. Uh, that's a wink at Kansas City. But, um, you know, Torrey was just an impactful player in many ways. I mean, he, when he first came in, you could tell he wanted to learn the game, re- really be a student of the game, and uh, the way he performed. And uh, he, he, he amassed all these stats along with a lot of other players that amassed stats as well. So to be able to be patient, uh, just have the character of a superstar, I think the guy's been a Hall of Famer for a very long time. The great Isaac Bruce and more than 500 youth in St. Louis, boys and girls, will benefit from his teachings as a football player and as a person on Saturday, June 5th. You can register as at IsaacBruce.org. And Isaac, I will see you over there on June 5th. And then <laughs> later in the summer, I'm going to see you in Canton, Ohio. Absolutely, Randy. Uh, hopefully we can get you to lead one of these uh, workout lines for the kids, man. Uh, <laughs> uh, show them how to do it. But uh, in Canton, man, I'll see you there. It'll be great. And uh, just like I said in the beginning, the entire city, county of St. Louis is invited. Uh, it's a big party that we're going to have because uh, if you guys weren't there when I was playing and, and cheering me on, you know, I just don't know what I would have become. So uh, this is by invite to the entire city and, and county of St. Louis. You're the best. Thank you, Isaac. We'll talk to you soon. All right, thanks. Have a great day. That is the wonderful Isaac Bruce joining us on 101 ESPN. So take advantage of that invitation. St. Louis has been invited to Canton for Isaac's Hall of Fame induction. And you should get. You, make sure you get there. Uh, That's a party I don't want to miss. Tony Larusa has a great term, tied for first. In terms of quality people, at the very worst, Isaac Bruce is tied for first. Absolutely. Every time we talk to Isaac or we talk to Tori, we talk to Kurt, we talk to so many great members from that team, great people, great athletes that gave us so much. That's when I miss the Rams is because we miss the people like that that come into our community. I have only had two jerseys from any sport in my life. And the first one I ever had was an Isaac Bruce jersey. Wow. Really? Yep. Isaac and, Isaac and Kurt. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Two good ones if you're going to have yeah, them. I'll, I'll say. Pretty good. <laughs> Pretty good. <laughs> Coming up, Danny Mac will join us as we head towards the Danny Mac Show with BK. The crossover next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> Ready for the Dan McLaughlin show with BK coming up. And Dan, we just had Isaac Bruce on, and I know that Isaac is one of your favorites. He's for obviously sure. one of mine, but it just a magnificent football player, obviously. But uh, we, we talk about our guys that we've lost, like Lou Brock and the people that we've met. Uh, he's another one of those guys that. You meet him, and he's a better person than player. I told you guys when I was covering the Rams when they first got to St. Louis, and I'll never forget Tony Banks. God God bless him, man. All he did was look at Isaac Bruce. Mm-hmm. I mean, every play that they threw the football, they didn't do anything else. And Isaac's getting double covered. He's getting just killed out there. And he'd still, you'd look up, and there'd be 10, 11 catches. He's over 100 yards. And 
Rams got pounded, and he'd have a good game. DeMarco it was unbelievable. would go up to the sideline while the, the Rams had the ball, and he would just yell to the opposing defense, hey, it's going to 80. Right, it's going to right. 80. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Yeah. It, seriously, he would, he would take the snap. You know how guy really good ones, they check down, okay, that's not there. They're in this defense. You know that's a play. This guy's going to do this. No, he would just take the ball and turn to his right. Isaac was on the right side and just find Isaac Bruce. It was unbelievable. And and Isaac, you know, we we think about iconic plays in um, in St. Louis sports history. I don't know if his catch in the Super Bowl gets enough attention. Does it? No, it doesn't. I and mean, the tackle was great. The tackle does. But, uh, but his adjustment on the ball to make that catch and go in for the touchdown is is an iconic play that doesn't get enough talk. And my favorite play that I was at my favorite football play that I was ever at a game for was not that one. And, and I actually Isaac's favorite was it Ricky Isaac's is Ricky's yeah. mine is first offensive play first playoff game ever in St. Louis, Minnesota against and he's Minnesota. going down and he can see himself on the board. Yep, Double post. Yep. Boom. Yep. Right down the middle. Right. That, that was, was pretty cool. Fantastic. And I love, goosebumps. I love that when he tells the story, he remembers every single detail oh, yeah. of he, those. It, that play took, what, 12 seconds? And the, the Super Bowl play, he can give you a three-and-a-half, four-minute dissertation about everything that happened, about the, the smoke from halftime still yes. being up there in the rafters. And he's looking up at the board, and as he, as he describes it, and there's our number 76 behind me with his big paw in the air. <laughs> <laughs> and he's still doing great things in our town, yeah, which is which is awesome. He's you, great. you made me think about what was going on over the weekend in St. Louis, and I mentioned this on the game yesterday, and this is not to get, you know, too sappy, but if you're Nolan Arenado and this was your first weekend, obviously you want to win the game, so they dropped two or three. But looking at the big picture of things, of just an opening day, catching a ceremonial first pitch, they're rolling out Ozzy, Ted Simmons, Whitey, there's Izzy. I mean, all these different guys um, they had on Saturday. They honored Ozzy. He was there. It's, it's kind of a Hall of Fame type of celebration weekend. And then yesterday, it's Ted Simmons. And I, they don't have that in Denver. I mean, mm-hmm. just the place hasn't been around that long. And he's got to be thinking, wow, this is pretty cool. Yeah. I would think so. I mean, I've been doing this forever, and I think it's still pretty cool. I do, too. It's great. So, And I can't imagine the reaction those guys gave him. I'm oh, sure yeah. when they got to speak to him before the game or whenever they had interactions. Socially distant, though. Socially distant. But they're probably, like he's heard from his peers and his teammates, saying to him, they are going to love you here. It's going to be a very special time in your career. I know he's gotten a lot of texts. I know he's talked to a bunch of people. So maybe, you know, he was prepared for it. But still, I don't think anything prepares you for that that first time of being in person and watching it and, and the reception that Colton Wong got. Here's a former player. Yeah. And we're not talking about a hall of Famer. We're talking about a very good player here in St. Louis and he's getting a reception yesterday. They, they have a sponsored element on the video board and Tony Simakaitis and Craig Wilson and Jared Hawkup and, and Matt shed. They're the production team of the Cardinals. They do an incredible job of the game presentation. And it's, I can't remember what the sponsor is, but it's basically let's salute somebody or let's salute this moment in cardinal history and the salute went to colton wong and they just rolled out That's for cool. two and a half minutes during the break of his best moments and john Hewlett described what he meant to st louis and all these great things and it was really cool that's it, fantastic they did a good job with it so we need better pitching obviously when you allow nine earned runs in each of two games you need to pitch better but i don't really concern myself with that i think ultimately the, the pitching will settle down i am still more concerned about the offense absolutely and uh, i'm with you i think the pitching is going to be okay the starters have to go deeper i mean but then you look at craig council and what he said 
and look how he managed game one and game three. He said, our guys are going to go 85 pitches, 90 pitches, and that's going to be it. And Corbin Burns even said after game one um, that he, after the sixth inning, he said, my legs were done. So guys apparently aren't, some, aren't ready to roll seven, eight, nine innings. Mm-hmm. And the Cardinals, by necessity, had to go to their bullpen. I think Gallegos has been great. Hicks has been pretty good. Had a little bump in the road second inning yesterday. Reyes has been great. Outside of those guys in the bullpen, mm-mm, not great. And to your point, Randy, I think the uh, the offense has got to be better. I mean, you get through, if you're the opposition, you get through Edmund, Arenado, Goldie, and now Yachty, you're saying, okay, I can take, not a breather, but it's it's a step back. They, yeah. they just got to have production from your outfielders who right now I think are basically either 27th, 28th, or 29th collectively when you look at on-base percentage, OPS, and average. And so they're, they got to get production out of those guys. I'm wondering, and I thought about this last night, because we put the outfield as a whole, but we talked all offseason, once Arenado arrived, about putting Carlson in those top three. I wonder... You've got to start a, looking at those there's things. There's a strong belief in baseball among the analytics people that your, your three best hitters should hit leadoff, second, and fourth. You hit Carlson third, or hit him second and just let Arenado and Goldie protect him, and then all of a sudden... To me, you're better one through five. Yeah, and you lengthen that. Yeah. And uh, I don't know if I, I – I love Carlson batting second. I don't know if I took, would put two switch hitters back-to-back. So maybe I, yeah, you know, could good put, point. you know, Goldie second, Carlson third, Arenado fourth, Yachty right now fifth. I mean, how about that? Your 38-year-old catcher is batting cleanup. He's yeah. only done it 30 times with yesterday being one of them, and it was the first time since 2017, but that's the way things are going. And and to his credit, he's off to a great start. I don't know if I would count on that all year, though. What are you seeing from Paul DeYoung? Just timing off. I mean, and you could just see I, – I thought Saturday he wasn't seeing the ball. I mean, he was just really off. I mean, timing was way off. Uh, he's in a bad rut. It, it's kind of funny when you when you think of these things – when you get off to these starts in the beginning of a season, they're magnified because you don't have anything to back up the numbers. But if he was hitting, let's say, 290 and this happened, we wouldn't be really talking. No. You'd say, well, he's in a he's in a slump, but he'll be fine. It just it's so magnified at the beginning, and it's why it's important to get guys off to a good start, especially those that are batting cleanup in your lineup, and you're counting on them more than ever to give you protection behind Goldschmidt Arenado because at this point if I'm the opposition I'm not letting Nolan Arenado beat me because everything he hits is hard right I mean he he just does he hits everything hard Goldie is going to probably do the same thing once he gets going and you've got to have some type of protection behind those guys I send you a text on the day that uh, Kenny Reitz died on the flip side Kenny Reitz was a 260 career hitter Michelle Mm -hmm. and all but one year 1976 he hit at least 359 in April one year he hit 415 in April he hit 380 in April a couple of years he hit in the 350s yeah he always got off to these incredible starts in april but then at the end of the year would be hitting 260 it's weird how in this course of six months some guys are just really hot starters and mm-hmm. some guys mm-hmm. are cold and if they have a track record when they're cold teams just go eh no big deal because in may the guy's hitting 300 and doing what he normally does it's just how it works sometimes yeah and hopefully they, they can get de young going sooner rather than later yeah and you know the cardinals will face strasburg in game two but tonight they get fetty then strasburg tomorrow uh joe ross on the, the final game of the series the day game on wednesday so you're not seeing corbin you're not seeing lester and you're not seeing uh scherzer so i like their chances
We'll see. But they got to get good pitching. So what if Fetty would do a radio show when he's done with his career with the person with the uh, WNBA player that does afternoons on ESPN Radio? Would it be Fetty Cheney? Coming up, FP Santangelo <laughs> will be our guest. He is the TV analyst of the Washington Nationals. Looking forward to that. All right, looking Randy. forward to that. That's bad. And it's Cheney, so it doesn't really go. Fet- it. it doesn't sound Fet- good. Cheney. It's kind of like Fet- Target Target. Tar- 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 elevated version. Cheney, right? Cheney, yeah. yeah. Or Cheney. 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 That's what Chine, I thought. Yeah. 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 Okay. Okay. All right. I'm trying to make a chuckle, and it didn't work. <laughs> Classic Sorry. pasta joke out of Randy. <laughs> Are you hungry? No, but last night we had this uh, feta pasta that was delicious. Oh, that's why you're thinking Fetty. Yeah. Okay. And the you probably did recipe, it on the Krager <laughs> recipe available at Schnooks, and it's the the recipe that broke the internet. So really, yeah, that good. I'll send it to you guys. It okay. broke the internet, huh? Yeah, that's a great recipe. I would appreciate that if you would send it my way. I will. Thank you. A great job today, as always, by our producer engineer, Emily Butcher. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you. And, Michelle, this was fun. Way way to get through Monday. It was. See you on Tuesday. Uh, We appreciate you tuning in, texting in, and being a part of the show for all of us. Till tomorrow morning at 7. Have a great day, St. Louis. You've been listening to the Character and Smallman podcast, powered by I Promise. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. The college football playoff committee made their decision on Sunday, and as much as I loathe the idea of Ohio State losing their way into the college football playoff, I 100% agree with OSU making it in over Bama. Nick Saban citing some hypothetical point spreads to prove his point that the tie deserve a spot in the college football playoffs holds little substance when you consider Bama's best win is over Texas. No, the committee got it right. TCU had a great season with far more ranked wins than Bama and didn't deserve to lose their spot after playing a surging Kansas State in a championship game. And Ohio State, while not playing some of their best ball later in the season, was still 12-0 until they came face-to-face with my Wolverines. While the college football playoff system isn't nowhere near as good as it could be, it's better than what we had. And in a few years, it will be better for all of college football. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. Get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there. From football to basketball to soccer and esports, we've got it all at BetOnline.net. And if you love sports podcasts, you can find those at BetOnline as well. And don't forget, bet online for the NHL, MMA, boxing, and golf. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. Bet online where the game starts. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast1 to learn more and start your free trial.